Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend, co-host, author, and friend of Beekeeper, Zach Butler. <laughs> I wouldn't say friend, <laughs> but... I know one now, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. I'm doing well, man. You know, hey, it's barbecue season, dude. Yeah. I was just out there grilling, nice. and I got to say, man, I got a new propane grill, and it has changed my experience with barbecuing and grilling outside. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, there's – listen, for all the people out there that are, you know, hardcore charcoal – open fire people listen i i also have a charcoal grill i love it Mm -hmm. my one issue is there's a lot of cleanup man there's a lot of just taking care a lot of maintenance you gotta buy the charcoal i mean you gotta buy propane too but it's just messy and say what you want about me i don't care i prefer you know the propane so yeah i think most people probably prefer propane for the convenience aspect of it because yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love charcoal. I have like a charcoal grill for certain days. Like it mm-hmm. used to be the only kind I had. Like you, <laughs> you remember back in the day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I will tell you what. There is. There's nothing like the first year of a propane grill too. Like they just are, just mm-hmm. cash money at the <laughs> yeah. beginning of their life. Like oh man, before. Before they kind of start the, the grates and stuff, well, they'll wear down over time. But man, mm-hmm. when you start first breaking in that propane grill, oh man! Oh, it's dude, good. it's like it's turning good. on an oven. It, yep, it's, just, it's so easy, so quick, clean. That's what my big thing about it. it's clean, yeah. easy to clean. So yeah, man, we're uh, we're really breaking it in. I've gotten really into grilling as much as we can right now that the weather's finally breaking. Yeah. We're getting into summer yeah. now. It's it's hot during the day. It's staying kind of warm at yeah. night. So ah, it's just nice also, you know, because we can be outside exactly. and it's not weird anymore. Exactly. So yeah. we've gotten through the 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 weirdness, the the COVID times, yeah. and we're kind of getting to the other end of this tunnel. And so it, it's good I smell other people's grills going. So I've, I've had a good day so far, man. How about you? Hey, and I'm doing well. I've, I'm kind of in the same spot as you. Last weekend, we grilled out like every day, and then I just grilled out tonight. It's just when summer's there, it's mm-hmm. just something nice. Like I like doing it too because I got home, and I'm actually looking forward to cooking. I, I, I was mm. like, yeah, I'll get out there. I'll fire up the grill, take my book outside with me, you know, throw the burgers and the dogs down, let those grill up. I'm reading, I'm reading Wheel of Time. I'm on Eye of the World right now. So... So I was reading, reading a little bit. Oh of that yeah, while I was man. Grilling. Man, it is. It's just so nice. Like I like, I love this time of year too because before it gets too hot and you can just kind of yeah. chill outside with without being like too too hot. It's really nice. Covered in sweat. Yeah. 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 Once like no, July it, and August roll around, it's like, oh man, I love being out here, but it's like, oh man, I'm sweating everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's going well. But what I really want to know about is we referred to a little bit in the intro here. What's going on with the beekeeper? Who is this man? Or woman. <laughs> All or right. Woman. It could be a woman too. I I it, it is a man. Okay. It is a man. And so so it all started i had to take my car in 
for so it got I had it to actually we'll back up even further than that. I had to take my car in a few weeks ago because there's something going wrong with the drive shaft, a U joint, something in the car. It was some technical thing that they had to fix. So I take it in and they fix it all up. It's all good to go. Driving perfectly. Well, a few weeks go by and I get in the car. And so we have a truck and a car and it's my wife's car. And so I get in because we're going somewhere and we're taking the car and I like turn the wheel and I hear just like this grinding popping sound as I turn it. And I was like, what the heck is this? And Lee was like, oh yeah, it's been doing that. Like you've been driving around with this going on like this. This is horrible. Like you could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You could feel it. She's like, yeah, we need to take it in. I'm like, we need to take this in when it happened. Not like (laughs) weeks later. This is crazy. No one wants to be without their car, though. That's the thing. I'll always give people some grace. It's like, yeah, I've been driving around with some minor maintenance issues for the old car, but I really don't want to be without my car, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, that's I true. It. That's true. But I think this was borderline minor major. Okay. <laughs> like it was more <laughs> moving towards the major of like, I don't have, I know, listen, I know nothing about cars other than how to change the oil, how to change some lights, like basic maintenance nice. stuff. So that's not bad. anything, me- anything mechanical though, like to me is always a major issue. Sure. Even if it's not, Absolutely. it's always yeah. like, if I got to take it in, it's a major issue because I can do most of the minor stuff. So I'm like, I got to take this in. And once again, like I, I wanted to take it in, but I knew that meant I would give up my car for the day and I had no idea how long this would take. Right, and the right. way this mechanic works is like, you know, you take it in and it could either be that day or, you know, Friday, if you take it in on Monday, that they get it back to you. And they're, they're phenomenal. It's just, they're always slammed because they're phenomenal. So anyways, I take it in the other day and I'm like sitting in the lobby and this guy walks in and He's paying his bill and everything. And I think he knows the the mechanic, the guy that's like checking like his bill and, you know, pay like taking care of him. And he's like talking to him. He's like, hey, how are the bees doing? And I hear this and I'm like, all right, now I'm interested. <laughs> so then the mechanic responds. He's like, oh, man, he's like, they're doing great. He's like, I actually found a wild hive the other night and like transplanted it and put it into my, my hive. And he's like, they're doing great. Like now I have four Queens and they're all like really producing a lot. And he like went into this whole thing about bees and like how it's doing and everything. And he was like telling the other guy how a lot of beekeepers keep losing their bees because they're not doing the right things to keep them healthy. And he kind of had the inside knowledge on how to keep them healthy. Cause okay. his, he's only got, I think he has like four, he called them towers. So like four of those like stacks of white bins or what I don't yeah, even I don't yeah. know nothing about it. But um, so he has like four of them and they're all doing really well. And apparently, dude, on a OK year, he gets 100 pounds of honey. And that's just like an OK year. That's not even like above average. Yeah. That's just like eh, it was all right this year. 100 pounds of honey. That's a lot of honey. Yeah. So they're talking and everything. And eventually the guy pays his bill and leaves. And so I'm sitting there I'm like. I can't not let this slide like this is a this guy is covered in grease. His hands are just, you know, calloused from dealing with metal and like parts all day and digging inside of car guts. And he's like, 
you know, the, what you expect the mechanic to look like. And I'm like, this guy's a beekeeper. And so he comes back into the room and he's sitting down at the computer. And I was like, so you're a beekeeper. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. It's he's like, you know what? He's like, oh, cause I was like, well, were you interested in just bees as a kid? Cause he was like, oh yeah, I liked them as kids. I always found them fascinating. I was like, is that just bees or is that insects in general? And you kind of honed in on bees. He's like, well, it started as insects. He's like, but he's like, you know, bees are just fascinating. He's like, you know, honey, and this now I'm going to list some facts, man. I'm <laughs> okay. Some facts here. All right, here we go. Because this was this was fascinating to me. So he's like, first of all, honey doesn't go bad. Actual honey, real, authentic honey uh-huh. does not go bad. He was like, they found honey in an Egyptian tomb from like thousands of years ago, and it was like crystallized. But they said they heated it up and it was completely fine. It hmm. tasted just the same. It could, you could put it on your you know toast yeah. or put it in your coffee or what, hey, whatever. Props you to the people who are willing to take crystallized honey from an Egyptian <laughs> tomb and just put <laughs> it in their tomb. mouth. Just like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah, I mean, let's try it. You only live once, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they YOLO'd that and apparently it was fine. So first of all, honey does not go back. Because I was like, all right, so if I got real honey right now, that would last me my lifetime. He's like, oh. And then some and then some he's like it would it would last your grand grandchildren like your great great grandchildren's lifetime it's like that's fascinating all right fact number two all right so he said that it's got some antibacterial properties so basically if you get a cut or you know you get a you get a gash or something a minor wound listen this isn't we're not talking like you cut off your arm you can just throw some honey on there you're gonna be all right but this is like minor cuts and scrapes and stuff he said you can put that on there and it'll do the basically it'll heal it the same way if you put like neosporin on whatever or if you took the um oh man now i forget the name of the the brown bottle with like the um and that burns like crap when you put it on yeah, a yeah, cut yeah. whatever um, that's called peroxide peroxide hydrogen peroxide that's right he said it does the same thing it's it cleans the cut it seals it you're good to go i was like that is insane he's like oh yeah i put it on my cuts all the time and he's a mechanic so like i can't (laughs) imagine you know him working in the shop he'd like kind of nick his finger on a metal bar and then go into the medicine cabinet of honey and just putting (laughs) honey on his finger the other mechanics are like what the heck are you doing man so he's like these are like medicinal, it's medicinal, it has medicinal okay. properties. All right. And then the third thing he said, he said that like bees will, the, the honey making bees apparently will make too much honey for their hive. Like they, they make it, but then they like make an excess. So it's almost like it's meant to be taken by other creatures. I think what he said too is like, it's, it's done now. Listen, for bee experts out there, bee experts. I remind you, I'm an idiot and I'm talking to a mechanic. Okay, so like take this with a pound of salt. But he said, he said that they do that almost as like a, a defense mechanism in a way. Like basically, we'll make honey, but it will make enough of it so if our hive ever gets attacked, like we still have the honey we needed. We just have all this excess honey for you know, 
other hornets that come in or bears or, you know, humans or whatever that take the, the honey from the hive. Mm-hmm. They've made extra not to be like, oh, hey, we've got an extra. You can have some like it's just, you know, part of their defense mechanism or whatever he said. Yeah. So fact number three, I was like, dude, that's crazy. Yeah. So that but unfortunately, the end of the story ends with a phone call ah. because as he's talking to me, the phone starts ringing and he has to answer it. And I was like, Oh man, I had like 55 questions lined up for this guy. <laughs> and, and when he's on the phone, the other mechanic comes in and is like, Hey, your car's fine. So, so for those of you that are worried about my car in this store, the car ended up being fine. It was just a bolt needed tightened and he just got in there and did it for me. And he was like, Hey, we're good. Don't worry about it. So, which was awesome. So yeah. my car is now running very smoothly, very, nice. very well. Um, but dude, I've, I'm not going to lie. I feel like I have to have an excuse to go back to the shop because I want to know more about this beekeeping yeah. Yeah, business. Like, so lesson of the day for folks listening at home is, you know, just don't judge a book by its cover because yeah. they might be a beekeeper. So I learned yes. a lot about bees and I was like, man, I kind of want to start beekeeping, but I'm terrified of getting stung, dude. I, I'm not allergic <laughs> or anything. I just, I, hate just the the idea of getting stung i've only yeah. probably been stung twice in my life like yeah. i just don't get stung by bees but like it is just it makes my skin crawl when i think about getting stung by mm. a bee so i probably will never do that i i stay far away even from those big like you know teddy bear yeah. looking ones so happy they barely stay in the air they always seem like they're just like falling yeah. all the time so i uh i, I don't go near bees but yeah this dude love my those things love my little um, side yard, my, my little sh- all my shrubs, <laughs> yeah. those bees are all over. Oh, they're all over. Dude, the it's the worst when you like accidentally brush against a bush where you're mowing or something, and you just like, like no, time. <laughs> yeah, you're like I, I'm not, I'm coming peace. I come in peace. Look so. like a little, look like a little wimp <laughs> out there. I know, I know. So yeah, man, I learned a lot about bees at my wow. at my uh, auto body shop or whatever. Yep. So hey, you never know who's a beekeeper. And in fact, I mean, this guy, food provider. I mean, mm-hmm. healer, mechanic, healer. beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this is like the all around man. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I'm a man of many hats. I'm feeling like there's a book idea in there. Like y- your whole concept is built around how honey and bees are going to save the earth. I mean, there's there's a book in there. If it doesn't right there, already dude. exist, you know. Like, I mean, I who would have known? Who would have guessed that bees are just like they produce something that can be used so many different ways, other than you know eating it straight up because it's delicious. Yeah. But apparently, you got to buy pure honey. You can't go and buy the little bear bottle. Yeah. Because that stuff will like go bad and make mm. you sick. You got to buy pure, like unfiltered honey, which yeah. is usually more expensive. But you're buying it for life. Now you know. Forever. Now you know. Take that's that to good, the bank. That's good to know. That's good to know. That is the fact of the day. Huh. But hey, man, tell me about. <laughs> I don't even know what this is. So tell <laughs> me, <laughs> tell me what you got. Here. All right. So speaking of bees, I had to go out in my yard and do some yard work this weekend and I had to avoid getting stung by bees myself. Mm. And so I had my yard mulched this year and then got it all down and all good and a bunch of weeds start growing. growing Did you you mulch it yourself? 
No, I didn't actually. Oh, um, all right. It was it was nice. Like we were all sick with the COVID thing, and my parents actually paid somebody to do my mulch. I was like, oh wow, that was that oh, was really nice yeah. of you guys. Like, because I really oh, had yes. to get out there and do. I did it last year, but um, and then although after having the yard done and all that, I had a bunch of weeds growing in, and I'm like, oh, this type of stuff just ticks me off, and I hate I hate weeds. They're so yeah. annoying. And so, anyway, I, I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to start picking some weeds while my kids, I let them play out in the front while I'm doing the yard work. And so, I'm out there, and and the, the boys, they ask, hey, can we ride our bikes? And I say, of course, yeah, guys, ride your bikes. Just make sure, because I live on a corner. So, I basically say you guys can go to the house on one side, and then go around the corner, and the house on the other side. Because I can see you out of my vision each way, right? It's like a wraparound type of deal. Yeah. But there yeah. is a part where, you know, they go around the corner to the neighbor's house, and, and there's like a slight blind spot where I can't see where they went. But, you know, I trust <clears> them to come back, right? Yeah, and so I'm out there and I'm doing the yard work, getting into it, and I'm pulling the weeds at first, and I'm like, you know what, just screw this. I I'm not gonna be doing this for hours. So then I bust out the weed whacker, you know, and I'm whacking them all down, <laughs> and then I'm just gonna yes. then I'm just gonna douse the flower bed with Roundup, like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I changed game plans. Oh, right? geez, yeah. I know it's not. I know it's not great for the environment. I understand, but you Dude, know what? Yeah. Like I live in a, in a neighborhood where weeds are unacceptable, and I'm not. You're going be, for convenience, <laughs> man. You're just, just like I've got a day ahead of me, four hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Listen, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> and so I'm I'm weed whacking, and I see the boys. They go around the corner, and they're playing this game where one of my sons is riding on the bicycle, and the other one wants to like race on foot. And I'm like, okay, well, this is probably going right. to end poorly, but we'll see what happens. Then I see, out of the corner of my eye, I see the bicycle coming back. Passes, passes the house, comes in my peripheral vision, and it's just the bike. Nobody's on it, and the bicycle's just going down the sidewalk, going down the street. And immediately, like as a parent, like worst case scenarios going through my head. And I'm like, oh no, what happened? Hopefully they're not dead. Hopefully everyone's yeah. okay. Every, everyone's, you know, not hurt, no bloody anything or anything like that. And yeah, yeah. And then it gets even scarier. And I see the two boys running after the bicycle, and the bike is going straight towards the street. And I see them like running after; they're trying to catch the bicycle. And I just, I just scream at the top of my lungs, "Hey, don't go in the street!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, the parental instinct in that moment of like street bad, don't you dare! <laughs> dip a well, toe in the street because there was a car coming there's a car coming and i know that they're not stopping looking and listening all mm -hmm. the things they've learned and they've known yeah like yeah. instinct is taking over for them they're like oh no i can't <laughs> lose my bicycle <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so so yeah the phantom bicycle riders going down and then the boys are chasing and i'm oh, screaming gosh. and then uh and then sure enough like the bike itself just it's going down, and you know the little dips that go right into the street on the sidewalks. It like it must have hit a bump in there. The bike just hit it and stopped. And so, <laughs> and so, so oh, sure enough, the bike stopped, man. didn't go on the road or anything. 
and everyone was okay. And then I guess what happened? This is what happened. Yeah, I was gonna say, how so, did how did we get to runaway bicycle? So they were racing, right? And my mm-hmm. son said he was afraid that he was gonna fall off of the bike because uh, my oldest was running too fast. I mean too close to him right so he thought okay. that they were gonna bump and so he decided that instead of falling off the bicycle he would just jump off the bicycle <laughs> so, yeah. so he just jumped off it just kind of like let it ride and i told him i was like yeah. guys all right we're not doing this anymore you each have your own bike you don't need to take turns right because it's the stormtrooper bicycle and of course they both want to ride the stormtrooper uh, bike yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. so oh my gosh it was just it's one of those things that in retrospect it's hilarious like the vision in my head is really funny but in that moment it's just like worst yeah. case scenario what's happening right now you know, it's just why is there no one on that bike? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a person with the bike, you know, went around the corner, and then the bike's coming back without a rider. It's back like without oh, anybody. Gosh, what could have been? Oh happen? my gosh, dude! Dude, that reminds me of when we used to. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but we had a huge hill behind my house, and it was like there was sidewalk and there was grass on both sides. So it was like that patch of grass before you get to the actual street and like yards on the right hand side. So what we would do, cause back in the day, everyone like rode BMX bikes and someone would take the bike and ride it down and you would get on the back of the bike on the pegs. Hmm. And we would do this thing where you had to jump off at a certain point and roll in the patch of grass between the sidewalk and the road, not, not the yard, which has, you know, you could miss and still hit the yard. We yeah. it's like that skinny patch of grass. And I remember <laughs> the thrill of like trying to just jump just right. So you land on the grass and then you roll, <laughs> roll, roll, roll as far as you can and try to be the furthest one. And I remember my buddy completely overshot oh, oh, no. <laughs> the grass one time and hit the street. <laughs> and it was like road rash. You hit and you just heard, ah! <laughs> like, I mean, it was horrible. But like, I can only imagine like you as a parent going like, where the heck is everybody that was just <laughs> right. riding yeah. the bike? Yeah. Like, why is that only a bike? Like, I can only imagine what our parents thought, like hearing that scream <laughs> and then like us running back up like. <laughs> Billy's down. <laughs> Billy's like, down. He's he's in the street. <laughs> so, oh, pegs, dude. man. But, I mean, I would never ride on someone's peg. I never trusted anyone. No, you weren't a peg no, rider. No, absolutely not. Just t- saw too many bad things happen. Oh, dude, nothing ever came. No, nothing good ever came from riding on a pegs. But I don't know why. There was still <laughs> something about the the exhilaration of just you know, riding on the peg, the wheel just inches from, you know, down there. And it's like, what's going to happen? I I loved riding on pegs. I would refuse to ride the bike. I wanted to be on the pegs. Okay. And then, dude, you would go front pegs, back pegs, bike driver. So there'd be three of you on three there. people on a bike, three people on the bike, <laughs> riding down the hill. It was the, it got bad. I we got banned from doing that real quick. So <laughs> real quick. We, yeah, real quick. So, I mean, I understand 
your boys, your boys though. I mean, they'll be telling that story. I'm sure. Yeah. They'll be like, I Hey, remember so. that time dad <laughs> yelled at us? Cause we were racing. Woke up the whole neighborhood. It yeah. was pretty early in the morning too. <laughs> so, oh. so I wanted to get out there before it got too hot, but Oh man. Hey, that's hilarious. A story. Yeah. It's a story to the remember. Story, the phantom bicycle rider. ended up okay, which is, you know, yeah. the, the best kind of story. Yeah. Speaking of stories, you are somewhat of a storyteller yourself. And before we get into our next discussion topic, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about Terror Town, where they can find it and how they can stay updated with Steel Lake Studio stuff. Yeah. So Terror Town, it's a middle grade um, series, suspense thriller series um, that all takes place in the same town. There's two books out right now. Um, Nightmare at the Fair, Something Strange at Grandma's House, and then the next book is almost done, dude. I'm like two chapters away from being done editing this third book. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, this is just the beginning. So, um, it's just the beginning. Those who are hoping for the third book, finish the first two, waiting for the third, it's going to be a little bit. This one's going to take some serious editing. I'm trying to deal with different themes, <clears throat> really trying to get into this one. So, anyways... For those who are like, what the heck's Terror Town? It's my middle grade uh, suspense thriller novel series. Um, you do not have to buy them in order or read them in order. They're kind of Goosebump-esque where you can just pick up any one of them. They're standalone stories. They have little nods to you know other stories going on in the universe, yeah. but they're all standalone. So for those that want, you know, a suspense thriller, exciting novel with, you know, a little bit of supernatural elements thrown in there for fun go pick up terror town first two books are out on kindle right now by the end of the month we will have the first book out as a physical copy so i'll let everybody know when that happens we're currently in the process so that'll be done soon but yeah go check out terror town guys um it supports the show supports us um and you know you get something fun to read with your kids yeah and then for all things steel lake studio you guys want to hop on and get over to our newsletter on our our uh, our website, steelexstudio.com. Our newsletter there gets you up to date with all of our books, our podcasts, um, things happening just in our lives. Also, we're going through the Better Storyteller series where we're teaching you guys how to just be better storytellers, both, both verbally and just, you know, if you are wanting to write something and you're like, I don't even know where to start. We're going through how to write and tell a good story. So a little bit of, you know, knowledge for you guys. It also keeps you up to date with everything that we're doing. So um, it's really important to us. We don't sell your information to anybody or give it away. We don't do any of that. It's all just for our records and to, you know, stay in contact with with the people, man. Um, Yeah. So you can head on over to steellakestudio.com. Hop on that newsletter. Do you have anything for us, Cody? Uh, yeah, just uh, I know I've talked about it a lot of times the past few episodes, um, but I will be having an update to the Haggard Odyssey, something updated over on that podcast feed if you guys want to check it out. It'll probably be out by the time this episode comes out. Nice. I'm going to be explaining a little bit of the new direction, a, a little bit of a shift of ideology of the Haggard Odyssey moving forward. I've spent uh, the past couple months wrestling with how I want to do the podcast. I like where I want to take it. 
Um, I feel a lot less narcissistic with some of my decisions. Um, and, and so I think it'll be an enjoyable route to go and I'm looking forward to where it's going to go, but I'll have something up probably by the time this episode goes live. So head over to steellakestudio.com. It's right on our homepage. You can check out the Haggard Odyssey and subscribe, listen, or watch it on YouTube, whichever you prefer. Um, Today, we are talking about television shows, television series, in particular, the ones that we liked in our childhood. But before we talk about the ones from our childhood, I want to talk about a recent television series somewhat because I just finished watching a television series and anyone who's listened to this podcast for any prolonged period of time, I have voiced many times, I just struggle to get into TV series, in particular like network series with like 20 mm-hmm. plus some odd episodes in a series because I I kind of view it as a lot of story padding and a lot of just <clears throat> things that are you know kind of rehashed or redoing or whatever. Right. However, I recently just finished the show Game of Thrones, which I've talked about on a couple of our other episodes that I was watching it. So over mm-hmm. the last two months... I decided, hey, I'm going to jump into this. It all started when my wife was in the hospital. And once my kids went to bed at night, I had like nothing to do. I was like, well, I could sit and do something productive. But I just wasn't really feeling that well. Like I I, yeah. I wasn't feeling great. So right, it's right. funny because I remember I texted you uh, about, hey, maybe if it's a, you know, a minor case of of the virus, I'll be able to get a bunch of work done. Even with it being a minor case, I just, I, I just, I didn't feel good. Like it's just yeah. like I'd sit, no, and like, I understand. Start doing stuff, and it's like, oh gosh, this is like draining, and I'm not doing anything. Yeah. So anyway, I started to watch Game of Thrones, uh, and watched a lot of episodes while my wife was in the hospital because kids were in bed, and I would just like watch till like late hours because I didn't have to go to work. I couldn't go to work, right? You know, I, yeah. I was, I was banned for. Or quarantine is probably the better term uh, for <laughs> yeah for ten days. <laughs> so that's a ban from, <laughs> ban from society for ten days. So anyway, I watched it. I watched all of it, and I knew a lot of stuff going into it. But I have okay. to I have to say, like from watching it from beginning to end in its fullness that it's definitely a show that you can see its deterioration over time in its writing. Like, I mean, it's one of the Mm -hmm. biggest critiques, one of the biggest criticisms in the show. However, even though it falls apart a lot in the last four seasons, it's still, as far as production value goes, it's still overall one of the best visual TV experiences you'll have. Um, yeah, and the first half of the show is because of the writing was just very good. You know, the sparring, the the verbal sparring that goes on between characters is just very well done. And then yeah. in the latter half of the series, when it has a little bit more money, I mean, you're not going to see visuals like it on any other, mm-hmm. you know, media, uh, any other TV network, right? They just don't have the right. they don't have the budgets, and they don't have the teams who would want to work on it. So overall, though, I would say it was pretty good. But Zach, I was going to ask you, like. You're kind of you were you were into this earlier than me. You you mm. read the books, you watched the show. What are your thoughts on Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire in general? Mm. All right. So I'm gonna be coming at it from the point of view where I watched 
it was in college my junior year when I watched the first season. I think that's right when it came out, 2011. So I watched the first season at the request of my roommate. My roommate was like, dude, you got to watch this. And I'm like, I like fantasy, but I don't really watch fantasy series. Like that's just not that I was like, you know, I didn't make a rule of my life. Like I don't watch that. I only read it, but I just wasn't really interested. Well, and but also they just don't have the budgets to really do a good fantasy mm-hmm. series because it always looks bad and it, you know, yeah, it just looks yeah. cheesy and you can tell they're trying really hard with the visuals yeah. and the story. So I just, yeah, you're right. I've had bad experiences in the past with fantasy television shows that I'm like, I just, I stay away from them. So I watched anyways, I watched that and I was hooked and I watched, I think the first two and a half, maybe three seasons. And that was about the time that I moved to Korea and was just kind of out of the whole Game of Thrones loop for like two years mm-hmm. and kind of taking a two year break from any show. I'm just, I'm done. I'm like, I'll just catch this whenever and you know, I'll, I'll maybe see the ending. Yeah. So I'm coming at it from an angle of I've seen the first three seasons and then I've seen the final episode okay. and I've read five books. <laughs> okay. So I've kind of got this like you have read all the books, though, <laughs> which means you you kind of know yeah. the story. At least I know where it's headed. I knew the fan theories. I knew what was going on because I couldn't watch the show really all that efficiently. I want to say yeah. in Korea, I picked up the books. Because I was like, at least I can read the books. So I will say the books, the book part of Game of Thrones is awesome. It is really in depth, man. I mean, if you want a world that is built out from, you know, the brick and mortar of a building to the political scheming of, you know, of empires, this book does it all. It is very much a world unto itself more than I've ever read. And I haven't read, you know, Robert Jordan's wheel of time and everything. I hear that's like really in depth and everything. But, um, I will say that after reading the books, I was impressed with just how it would drag at times, but it would also keep your attention with other characters. And you really got invested into characters and it's a character driven story, which I really liked. It wasn't plot. It wasn't like we got to go stop the big bad thing from destroying the world we all got to get like band together and stop it. It was like political intrigue. It was like, I don't know, like house of cards, but fantasy, like just people trying to position themselves in power to have the most power at the end of the day. Yeah. That's kind of what a lot of the characters motivating factor is. How do I get the most power? And that was a new brand of fantasy for me. And so overall, I really enjoyed the books. I really liked where they were going. I liked generally most of the characters, even the bad characters I thought were really well written. I know one thing that George R. R. Martin is praised for is how he writes female characters. A lot of even female authors and female just fans say he writes them very accurately. It's mm-hmm. not like a man's <clears throat> It's not a male's thought of what a female should act like in a situation. It's very much like, oh, yeah, this is how I would act. Mm -hmm. So I know he gets a lot of praise for that. He gets I mean, he gets a lot of praise just for developing characters. And so if you want character driven, this is the story for you. Now, 
the TV series started off strong, really, really strong. And then I know it got to that point where it was like, all right, this is becoming classic fantasy again. This is action. We want big battles. We want to start wrapping things up. And I think that's probably the point in the story where George R. R. Martin was like, I've written all the books that I can write right now. Here's how the story ends. HBO, you figure it out. So I think what might have happened there and why a lot of negative feedback came from the ending of the series is because like the network took over with the story, like the actual story. Yeah. Like I know Martin wanted certain things to happen now, you know, five years later, whatever it is when it ended, he's now saying, well, no, no, it's going to be different. It's like, dude, this is probably what you wanted, but we'll see. Um, so, Anyways, I can't speak to much of the second half of the series because I didn't watch it. I just watched the final episode and even the final episode. I was like, oh, that's how that's how it ends. Okay, it ended to here's what I'll say for what Game of Thrones did, where it was like, these are characters that you're going to love and then I'm going to kill them or at least the ones you really care about. It, It became famous for that. And I think there's a double edged sword there. I think like subverting expectations is great, but when you become known for subverting expectations that people only expect like, okay, who's going to die next? What's going to happen? Like who's, what's the big thing that's going to happen in this book or the big thing that's going to happen in this episode. That's really going to throw us off. So, which kind of sucks, man, you know, like you want to be known as like a guy, a writer, if you are a writer, you want to subvert expectations. If you're an artist, you want to subvert expectations. But then it gets to that point where if you're just the artist that subverts expectations and you kill the darlings all the time, it's going to be daunting to create new darlings to kill that people care about because that's all they want to see now. So it started off as like that trademark. It started off as this is what Game of Thrones does. It, it builds a story of characters you care, and then he kills the ones that are like, oh, dude, what? No, he killed that guy? Yeah. <clears throat> and then what I think happened is it slowly started going more towards classic fantasy where it's like, okay, yep, that person's going to go, and that person's going to become king or whatever. And like it just it got too tropey, I feel like, towards the end. And it ended in a way where it was like, storylines got buttoned up in too clean of a way for game of thrones i don't think too clean for fantasy but i think it got buttoned up in a way that was too clean for game of thrones so all of those are kind of my thoughts about this this so i'm interested to hear because you watched all of it all the way through and it's he he I mean, it sticks pretty true to the books at the first half of the series. It yeah. stays very true to, I mean, the first season is basically the first yeah. book. I mean, I would say the first two seasons are essentially the first two books, because I've read the first two books. Um, season two is quite a bit more concise than the second book. The second book, kind of Clash of Kings, has a lot of things that don't happen in the show, but I think they're good yeah. cuts. Um but I will say that the show starts off really good. And, and, and I I kind of knew, not because I researched, but just because of how the climax ended. Uh, mm-hmm. Season four. Season four was a clear shift 
in where the story needed to go. Like, the climax of season four was great, right? Tyrion's on trial. He mm-hmm. kills his dad. Yeah. Uh, the big shocking scene with, with Oberyn in the mountain. Um, and you just kind of have these these shifts in story occurring, right? Like, Daenerys is like a ruler of a city now. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, you kind of feel like you felt a complete arc of characters. So you kind of, almost as if you saw characters be who they were in their next stage, right? You kind of mm. got to see the beginning of Jamie's redemption. You saw Jon Snow successfully pull off returning to the Night's Watch, defending at the Battle of the Black Gate. Like, I, I mean, not the Black Gate. I Lord of the Rings took over. Uh, <laughs> Castle Black, Castle Black. Yeah. Um, uh, but I thought, like, season four was one of the best seasons of of just fantasy television, television in general, because it just dealt well with doing a lot of payoff, right? Joffrey dies yeah. at like the beginning of that season, right? What a bunch of fans wanted from the beginning was, you know, the murderer of Ned Stark needed, needed to pay for what he did. Right? Yeah, yeah. He and, needed avenged. And so, so like just so much good stuff happens and, and you're seeing like a lot of stuff you emotionally cared about from the beginning of mm-hmm. the show is kind of wrapped up in the fourth season. Mm-hmm. And I would say also, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I think George R.R. R. Martin, and, and I now I haven't read the last three books, but killing Tywin Lannister at that point takes away the best adversary in the series. Like, Tywin's just mm. the fact that he really is smarter than everybody else is is truly what makes the Lannisters powerful, right? Like... Mm. Cersei is the one who's kind of like the the main evil by the end of the show, but she's nowhere near as clever as her dad was. You know, like right. like Tywin Lannister. I mean, because when you think about it, um, you mentioned shock value a little bit. The show, and I mentioned when I started saying why I like the show, is that a lot of the shock value stuff has... A lot, like if you reverse engineer it, it's a logical conclusion to consequences for things done earlier in the series, right? Like it was always foreshadowed mm. that even though Rob had all these victories against the Lannisters, it was always foreshadowed like you're not going to beat Tywin Lannister. He will find mm. a way to beat you. And he does, right? By doing it in yeah. like the dirtiest way possible, right? Backstabbing mm-hmm. a guy at a cele- celebration by hiring basically assassins. And yeah. it's like, okay, like mm-hmm. that that's like a logical conclusion. Shocking, yes. Did we see it coming? Probably not. But can we backtrack and say, like, okay, well, yeah, this makes sense, right? Like it it does. Whereas you know, some mm, of the stuff yeah. later on in the mm. show, it's like, let's just shock people because we don't want anyone's internet predictions to be correct. And that's not necessarily the way to yeah. go about storytelling. Like, right. Bran, Bran being king at the end, I'm completely fine with. But the show kind of abandoned Bran. Like, he's not in season five at all. Like, he's not even mm. in it. Like, not a single episode of Bran. Because for me personally... In the books and the show, I've actually always kind of enjoyed Bran's journey because Bran's journey is 
the closest thing to a classic fantasy in Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, that's in, a good in, point. Yeah, in in my opinion, like the the hero adventuring to attain power that will eventually save humanity. Right, which <clears throat> is kind of Bran's journey. But in the second half of the show, they're just like ah. Because Martin hasn't really written it, we don't really know what to do with it. This is the yeah. outline, so you know we'll try. But mm. at the same time, like they basically they turn Bran into, you know, and it, I don't blame the actor at all because he was a very good actor when he was a kid and when he was mm-hmm. playing a different brand. But once he becomes the Three Eyed Raven, he's like a robot, and like the line delivery is like they intentionally make it like he's always awkward and it's like i don't mm-hmm. I, like sure <clears throat> you could try and say he's kind of transcended humanity but they never explain it they never make it make sense and so yeah. i think it's one of those things where he's pretty much useless uh throughout the show in the second half of the series and then he's king at the end because he knows everybody's stories and it's like, well, I get it, but you didn't really yeah. set that up very well in the show. Maybe in the books it'll be set up differently. I'm sure you'll get some point of view chapters from Bran if, you know. Dude, if if we get the book. If JRRM <laughs> ever finishes the series, which, you know, I was telling you earlier before we recorded, I think I'm going to stop reading where I'm at because, I mean, yeah. it's a lot of time to invest into a series that may not finish you know yeah especially for how big the series is and how long those books are like as i was telling you i'm like i gotta go back and read them once winds of winter comes out because i don't even remember what happened in most of those and i gonna be honest i don't really want to read feast feast for feast of crows again because (laughs) you don't want to read about sam it's literally like and and that's kind of the like the whole series has these weird like bruises and black marks on it where it's like, well, why the heck would you go that direction when you had a good thing going mm-hmm. doing this? And in the book series, like Feast of Crows is that where you you get so invested in these characters in the first two, I think it's Feast of Crows is the third or the fourth book. Fourth. The fourth, yeah. So you get invested in these characters for three books and then the fourth book comes out and has no kidding zero of these characters in it. None of the ones that you've been following. And it's just basically a world building book. It was just to expand on what else is going on in the kingdom, which I get if you're like into only world building, but that's not the time to do it in book four in a series of a seven book series. You don't just divert and go, Hey, by the way, this is what else is going on in the world. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. We want the characters that we have followed from book one to book three mm-hmm. and then see what happens next. So yeah. like, yeah, it's got these weird diversions in storyline that both in the, in the TV series happens because Martin didn't finish the book series. So the writers for the TV series are just going, okay, well we're going to try and go this direction. So you have these storylines that kind of either take a 90 degree turn or just kind of gradually go off course. And then you have in the book series, the same thing where it's like, whoa, 
maybe not so much with storylines, but you just have like weird books and plots that enter that you're like, yeah. I, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. And, and I do think, I do think even though, and I have a whole thing on subverting expectations. I actually don't think a storyteller should ever set out to subvert expectations. They should set out to tell a story and figure out along the way, how do you not give it all away? Right? Like you put your, your focus in of where you want the story to go. And then how do you make it the most enjoyable journey possible? And then along the way, figure out how to like, like subverting expectations should feel rewarding. Like when you get to that point where you're kind of surprised, it's like, oh man, that's great. How did I miss it? Because, you know, when you look back, you're like, okay, it was there the whole time, right? Like, yeah, it, yeah. you know, it was kind of there the whole time, right? Like, for example, you've got, like I mentioned, the Red Wedding, right? It mm -hmm. it was going to happen at some point, right? Rob, Rob was going to have to pay for his sins at some point. Um, for, but I would say Ned Stark dying in season one i don't know if you can trace that back absolutely you can cersei says very very like a couple chapters before when you play the game of thrones you win or you die so ned is gonna win or he's gonna die mm. and and so you know yeah you assume like yes he'll he'll expose him but at the same time well if he doesn't he's gonna die like, I see. Like, I see what you're I, saying. My whole argument with Game of Thrones too is that I think that's. I have no idea if this is what JRRM set out for, but I think that's the whole entire thesis of the show. You play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. That I think that that is like the whole. That's the theme. The I, theme okay. of the show. Um, I could be right. I could be wrong. But that's the whole angle. Ever since I. Read it in the book, saw the episode where that was in. I was like, this is what the show is about. Um, hmm. I would, yeah, I could see that because a lot of quote unquote good characters end up falling. A lot of bad characters have, you know, I mean, Jamie Lannister is one of my favorite characters and he starts off as a scumbag and becomes one of the best redemption arcs in, I think, any story, not just fantasy. So I, I can see that. I, I see, but again, I think I would argue that subverting expectations was it's kind of like chicken or the egg, man, because did yes, he planned out those. You can trace them all back. But I think going in going, OK, I'm going to start this person off here and they're going to end up here like that's a subversion of expectations. Now, how they get to there is the story. Sure. But I think like Jamie Lannister becoming one of your favorite characters you there's, you're not going to convince anybody who's never seen game of thrones hey that guy in season one that you hate yeah you're going to love him in season four and no one's going to believe you because that's a subversion of expectations so i think i think he i think he probably wrote that the series with that in mind of like how do i not just write a tropey fantasy series. How do I change things? And I think through those changes are those subversions of expectations, which I think sure. are really important to a writer because we want the same, but we also want it to be different. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, and yeah, I, I could agree with that. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of intending to subvert expectations and I'm not going to get into it all now. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's okay. 
mainly because I actually think at the end of the day, storytelling always needs to have, not always, but at some point or another, whether you're telling a, a horror, a, a mystery, a a heroic story, I think your story should be teaching some type of positive reinforceable lesson. And sometimes I think if you focus too much on expectation mm. subversion, you're teaching <clears throat> a negative lesson. And the reality is, is if, you know, what's the positive of the negative, right? Um, right. You know, I, yeah. I think as long as you are setting out to say, this is the reason why I'm telling this story, you know, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I think a lot of Game of Thrones has that, like, I do like there's you can say, OK, I get why yeah. the story's being told, even though Ned Stark dies. It's one of those things where you you leave the first season mm. and you're like, well, just be careful who you trust. I mean, just, you know, be careful who you yeah. trust, who you put your faith in, you know, <clears throat> maybe sometimes question someone you haven't seen for 17 years. Are they really your friend? You know, <laughs> like, um, mm. so, you know, there's mm. lessons to be learned there. But anyway, I just I don't. I don't love people who focus too much on pessimistic storytelling. I'm not saying that that's what Game of Thrones is. It's just not my... Last Jedi, for example. Pessimistic storytelling. Don't like it. Um, I see. I I can get on board with that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Anyway, there's one thing that's mentioned a lot, and this is kind of be my my closing thought on Game of Thrones. One of the things that's mentioned a lot about Season 8 is a lot of people feel like Daenerys kind of going crazy, burning things up, and going into her madness, and the the villain at the end. Everyone says it was rushed. And I would argue that it is not rushed. Mm -hmm. And here's why. I I don't think it was done well. Everyone says they needed more episodes. The truth is they didn't need more episodes. They knew that they were ending the series when they started season seven, right? Like, I'm pretty sure that was announced. Like, season seven started. They said there's going to be seven and eight. There's going to be 13 more episodes. Show's going to be done. Mm. Let's do the math. 13 episodes. A lot of those were over an hour. So you're looking at over 13 hours of television. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in... In one season of Game of Thrones, the first season, which is very true to the book, there's 10 hours of television, and the book's probably going to take you anywhere between you know, 25 and 30 hours to read, depending on how yeah. quick of a reader you are. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And they got that into 10 hours of television. Mm. You could tell a meaningful conclusion in 13 hours of television. You Definitely can. It's a Mm. lot of time. A lot of time. But they decided to use their time in meaningless ways. You know, Mm. the long night. You know, it's this big, long, hour and a half battle episode in the middle of the eighth season. And there's a lot of cool things in it. But there is no doubt that that episode is way too long. And it doesn't really progress the plot very good at all. In fact, the conclusion to it upset a lot of people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you didn't at least let Jon Snow like clash swords with the Night King at least once? Like, yeah. I don't think anyone cares that Arya killed the Night King. It's like, okay, can they like, you know... At least fight? <laughs> at least fight, right? <laughs> like, yeah. there, there are some things like expectation subversion. If that's your goal, mm. you're going to disappoint people because at the end of the day... 
It's like, why tell this story? When you tell a story, it's supposed to be the highlight of people's lives. By that point in the story, it's about Jon Snow. This is like the highlight of his life. And so it's like, okay, in storytelling, maybe you subvert expectations, but the story that would be told is the one where Jon Snow's the hero. Like, that's how we preserve history, even if it didn't really happen, even if somebody else killed the Night King. The rules of storytelling say you overemphasize the hero, which, you know, there are moments where they're they're not ashamed at all to overemphasize Jon Snow, just not in the battle that mattered more than any of them. You know, I see. I see what you're saying. So, you know, Mm. I think, you know, they didn't properly use their time allotted especially in season eight there's a lot of time where there's not really any dialogue there's a lot of action there's a lot of people that die um man they totally like once season seven hits like before Mm. in game of thrones it was all about like people you cared about were dying man they killed a lot of npcs and a lot of extras (laughs) in season seven and eight it's just like all right well we're down. We've really yeah. whittled our numbers down. All right, extras, you're all dying. You know, like yeah, everybody else yeah. is safe. Um, but I think it was just an improper use of time. Like, even though mm. people might say the beginning of Game of Thrones is slow paced, I never felt like it was wasted time. There were scenes. Some of the best scenes in the show were like six, seven, eight minute long scenes of dialogue between two characters in one room. Not a lot of fancy cinematography, not yeah. a lot of like, you know, flash, but it was mm, good just writing. Good, yeah, good writing, and great it, writing. And it made you feel things for the characters, whether you were growing in your respect for them or distaste for them. Like, mm. and, and that was kind of where the show was at its best. And at the end, it's like, wow, there's some really good action. Like, this is a TV show? That's insane. Like, yeah. you, you look at the moments and you're impressed. But at the same time, they decided to focus on that at the expense of not really giving the characters the closing journey that they needed. I have no problem where most of the characters landed. Mm. The problem is, is just how we got there. It was like, yeah, oh, like the city burned and John wrestled with whether or not he was going to kill Daenerys for, I don't know, 30 seconds. And he just goes and does it. And, yeah. and it's like, I love the fact that she fell in. I love that her story turned into a tragedy. I felt there was a lot of setup to turn her into a tragic character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you could say the thesis of Game of Thrones is the fall of the Targaryens and the rise of the Starks, right? Because, yeah. you know, you you could make that argument, right? The mm-hmm. The fall of Conquerors and the rise of legitimate noble leaders. I mean, you could yeah. say that would have been a good story to tell. But, you know, even mm. though you can see that, you can see that at the end, it's yeah. like you really got to force yourself to fill in a lot of blanks. You know, mm. um, you know, for example, they they don't really spend any time, like, you know, take some time to show Daenerys getting paranoid, you know, Closing herself up and, you know, just thinking about how, you know, she's come here, she's saved the people in the north, nobody appreciates it, and just really, like, drive that home. Like, she came and she was a hero to these people. (laughs) Everywhere she went before, everyone she helped loved her. She comes to Westeros, she helps everybody, and they couldn't care less, you know? And Mm. so I understand how she got where she got. 
but you need yeah. to show it. Well, it sounds screen. like it sounds like it's an issue of they spent too much time on characters that in the end didn't really matter or in the end their storylines were wrapped up in a way that's like, okay, that makes sense. And I wonder if at the end of the day there are too many there's too many chefs in the in the kitchen here. Like there's too many stars plaguing the show and the books because you start to care about everybody and if the people you care about end up at the end of the story well there's only one throne there's only one king or queen so only one of them can really take that so i it it might be i guess my question to you is like would they have been would the show have been better if they would have cut out certain characters or like time off of characters wrap them up quickly so that the actual climax at the very end of the show was more allotted to you know bran and denarius or i like what's the fix i think bran's character would be difficult to fix his characters would be so difficult to fix because he need you need to go back to season five and show his journey and they just didn't there's like things here and there and i actually think brand's moments when he's with the three-eyed raven kind of learning mm. those powers are fascinating like okay how is this going to pay off in the end like it's fascinating yeah. and then, yeah absolutely and then they turn him into a robot and it's it's like wait a minute like that's not even mm -hmm. how the old three-eyed raven acted why is brand <laughs> acting like this you know yeah <laughs> it's, yeah <laughs> it's it's bizarre and you know I see. If you could at least get us there, like take us on that journey, we'll care a lot more about him being king. You know, I wasn't a huge fan either. Mm -hmm. Like the last couple seasons of the show, Tyrion just can't do anything right. Like that, his his story arc goes from yeah, he was able to all he always was able to survive and convince people to be on his side. Like in in. Don't get me wrong, he's able to do that in the end, but the fact that he's just always wrong is kind of annoying. Like he was mm, Yeah. He was wise and like sure you could you could say like, oh, there's like a parallel between Tyrion and Daenerys. Tyrion's got yeah. a lot of wisdom in Westeros. He's always had success there. He's able to kind of work his way through the systems there. He goes to Essos, you know, the other continent, and he's a failure there because he doesn't understand the people. And then Daenerys, you know, she understands the people of Essos, the other continent. She's successful, comes to Westeros, total failure because she doesn't understand, you know, I guess, right? Mm. But yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I still don't like how Tyrion just doesn't know anything. Like he's just like, he just goes from being wise to just yeah being, the smartest guy in the room to he's like he's outmaneuvered in a in a Westeros where Tywin Lannister's not around anymore. It's like no no it's like it's you just, should be thriving, man. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not how it should be. Mm. And yeah, there's just I don't know if the characters needed to be whittled down as much as if they would have taken like the last three episodes to wrap up certain character arcs like. If certain characters would have had their arcs wrapped up in episode four and you didn't see them the last two, maybe that's good, right? You know, maybe yeah. certain characters wrapped up in five, like, and they did that, right? They kill off, you know, Jamie and Cersei in episode five. Uh, both of them not really getting any type of meaningful conclusion other than the fact, like, oh, they were scumbags in the beginning. And they still are. So, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of that's where... 
Jamie, Jamie's got a good arc, man. I would say. I you think, I enjoy you think Jamie has product. a good arc. I think it's yeah. I mean, listen, this has come from a guy who skipped seasons four through eight. So I only know up to book five, season three, where he's coming back from, you know, the pit. He's coming out of his former life and trying to figure out what it actually means to be a knight, to be noble, to be someone who, you know, is is virtuous in a way. So that's where I stopped with him. And then, you know, I watched the last episode and I was like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense because he loves his sister. And that's like, I don't know. I, I didn't see what happened between then, but I enjoyed Jamie's plot arc till book five. I'll say that. Interesting. I will say that Jamie as a character definitely had an arc, but you could also make a argument that he is actually a flat character because he's always been honorable, but when he's around Cersei, it's just his poison. Um, you can make the argument. We don't know enough. Right. Um, I, you can. I would argue against it. But is it an argument of reason or just because you like him? I would say it's an argument of reason. Okay. I would say that, that you know, Jamie's yes, he that is like Cersei is his Achilles heel. Like Cersei is the poison to him. But he was also kind of ignoble around a lot of people in the first season. Like he was arrogant. He was, you know, um foolhardy in ways to the point where he would just be, I don't know, like overbearing to, to certain characters. Like, I mean, he just, he was everything that was like an arrogant knight that was part of the, the, the elite killers of the King's men would be. And he was the head of that. He was the guy that changed the entire realm. I mean, he killed the, the mad King Mm -hmm. to, completely set off a different trajectory of how the seven kingdoms would be like ruled. So like, there's a lot of arrogance that comes with that. And so I think like that's not a flat arc to me to go from ultra arrogant, like the embodiment of arrogance to brought low to the point where he's no longer the best swordsman because he loses his hand. He's enslaved essentially And then he's carried around by a woman, the very gender that he kind of womanized. Like he just treated them more as like a currency than a like, at least in the book, than a, you know, a person other than his sister. So like all these things in his life. Like bring him low and then you see this slow redemption of him actually learning to like, okay, this is what caring for someone is like actually caring for someone like with Bryn or Brienne um, and like learning what it is to be like noble and to like do the actual right thing, not just the right thing to earn money, to earn respect of, you know, nobles, but like the actual right thing that the common folk would say is the right thing. So to me, that's, that's not a flat arc. And regardless, yes, every character has their, Like, this is my antithesis. And to him, that's his sister. And it is, it's kind of, it kind of 
to me, it would be more of an argument to my point that he kind of comes back to that at the end. So he's got this plot arc where he starts high, comes low, starts to climb. I skipped season four through whatever, so I don't know what happened. But then he kind of comes back down at the end. So it's quite a ride for a character. I mean, yeah, I I agree with you. It seems like there is a lot of things that are maybe portrayed on his introspective side in the books that, you know, maybe Mm could have been played out better in the show. Um. I like I like the char- I would have been completely fine and said that he had a good character arc if he would have never gone back to Cersei. I think him going back to Cersei begs the question of like why did he leave in the first place? Um but dude, I that's to me that's a good plot arc because that's human. Like why do we go back to our sins? Why do we go back to that poison? And like he tried to get so far from it and he was doing well. And then he came back like, I guess, yes, I could see your point of how it's like, okay, he's right back where he started, but it's that journey and unfortunate return. Cause not every character makes the journey and gets to that like changed good end in the heroic, like character arc. Some fall and return back to this is what's familiar. This is what I like. I, I want to sit in this. I want to sit in my sin or I want to sit in my, my vice. And like, it, to me, I would argue that Jamie's a tragic hero, you know? Yeah. Except for when it comes to being heroic, he says blatantly to Brienne's face. He never cared. No, to, uh, Tyrion's face. He never really cared about the people. Uh, I didn't watch yeah. that episode, so I don't. Which, I'll which have to is, take your which word is for it. why which I he, think like maybe there's some inconsistency in the show because it's like, well, why did he kill the Mad King in yeah. the first place? It was for the the people, right? So he was never yeah. he was never a knight who didn't care. He always just, you know, he always just kind of showed himself a certain way, yeah, because he felt like that's the way he had to be, um, mm. but. Anyway, I yeah. I don't know uh, for sure. I think uh, they kind of ruined Jamie by taking him back because I mean, there's just to me, I look at it and I'm like, oh, where's the logic in it? Because when he comes up to uh, Winterfell to fight with the Starks, like he's gone and he goes to fight with the Starks because they gave his word. What did they? What did he really think the next logical step was going to be for Daenerys mm. and the Starks? Right? If you leave you're committing treason, you're basically willingly saying, like, okay, my sister's not going to, you know, she's she's not going to have the throne. I mean, maybe he was optimistic and thinking they're not going to kill her, but, I mean, yeah, why have him leave? Like, if it was all for Cersei in the end, and I would actually have liked it better if it would have ended out that Cersei never really loved Jamie. she just used Jamie. Um mm. because I... I feel like there were some hints at that within the story, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like she intentionally gets pregnant in the final season, which seems to be maybe she's just using him um, to yeah. keep the Lannister line going. I don't know, um, but they kind of mm. change all that at the end by kind of making it like, oh, she's you know in love with him and whatever. Well, I guess when you're about to die. You know, you could be any way yeah, you want. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, 
Uh, it's becoming the Game of Thrones yeah, episode. Seriously. Uh, my final, my final <laughs> thought basically was that they had plenty of time to do the show right. They just decided yeah. to a lot of time that. in a different way. And to too many characters. Also yeah. emphasizing why I hate television series in general because <laughs> 13 hours is a long freaking time, guys. And if we're saying that's not enough episodes, there's a problem with television yeah. and us as the viewers because there's yeah. a pretty good series out there that tells an epic tale and, you know, about nine hours of screen time. Not going to say what it is, but it's in the same genre. And, uh, that's not even one full mm. season of Game of Thrones. Maybe a little bit bigger budget, but still only nine hours of screen still. time. Still. <laughs> nine hours. So. Got three books in it. So, I, I, yeah, guys, I, I think still it's worth watching if you like political intrigue, if you like, um, if you like a fantasy world that's a little more gritty. There's a lot of vulgar content, mm. though. I mean, we got to just say what it is. It's not for um, kids. Not, <laughs> any, not, not anywhere kids. near family friendly. And, uh, you know, at times, like, some of the scenes is like, can we just, like, stop this? Like, yeah. Can we move on? Yeah. We get it. Get off? After reading the first two yeah. books, I'm like, I know it's not even close to this crazy in the books. Like, it's the uh, it's the HBO uh, the the HBO liberties <laughs> that they take on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's the HBO effect on the show. The fact man, that they sure. one of the original characters for the series is, you know, a whore, just kind of tells mm-hmm. you the HBO effect. Yeah, <laughs> the H- yep. She's nowhere yep. near, at least to the point I've read in the books. There is no redheaded rod. It's not that gratuitous. Yeah, in uh in the books i was actually like oh wow this is very fantasy like like in the books compared to hbo oh yeah i mean it's i mean it's in there and it's it's in there and like yeah they use a lot of words that my goodness the amount of times i heard the private part words that both begin with c it's like holy cow like yeah 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 (laughs) but anyway we're gonna really shift tones here um, really yeah. take a major shift in tones. And we're going to talk about some more uh, kid-friendly television here because we're talking about some of our favorite television shows from our childhood. And basically what we, what I said was kind of my, my frame of reference for television series was anything that kind of came out before I was in junior high. So that would have been like 1990 yeah. to 2002. That was kind of my frame of reference for the shows I picked. Zach, how did you go about picking yours? Um, yeah, it was probably about the same same time frame. I uh, I would say these are late '90s, 2000s shows for me because you know 2000 was was when I was turning 10. That's what I remember the most of. So that's kind of my time frame okay. that I picked. So. For the listeners that are, you know, 35 and younger, you're probably, well, I would say 35 to 25, you're, you're going to know these shows. Mm-hmm. These are the ones you grew up yeah. with. And anyone older, you probably know the shows. Anyone younger, you have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, that's so. an interesting thing, too. In, in a lot of these shows, too, as I'm going through, I don't even know if I would recommend for people to go back and watch if you don't have nostalgia tied to them. 
some of these especially this first one on your list and it pains <laughs> it pains me I to will... say that because i love this show oh man yeah I'll, I'll kick it off here because this one in my mind was awesome when i was a kid i would not miss this show i loved the show i would tune in i was thankful that my parents let me watch it because i know it was a little bit controversial because it was a horror show but when i went back to watch these episodes like clips of these episodes in doing research for this i was like okay i see why my parents let me watch this like (laughs) this is the cheesiest like it is so tacky so we are talking about for my so we're doing our top five um childhood shows my number five is are you afraid of the dark and i i adored the show when i was a kid it in my mind always was a great horror show as i said i went back and watched it good stories really poor execution i'll say that um but imdb said hey this is a pretty dang god like <laughs> dang good show 8.2 out of 10 like that's pretty how good many, how many so, voters on that show you know thousands how many times thousands. did you vote I was probably a few thousand of them, but yeah, 8.2 out of 10. Um, so kind of how I approached the list here for me is I just picked some facts, kind of how we used to do with, you know, our past episodes, but this will be a, a very brief in comparison. Um, but I just wanted to highlight, dude, that intro was probably scarier than any episode you'll ever watch of, are you afraid of the dark? (laughs) The, are you afraid of the dark (laughs) intro was, terrifying i mean even by today's standards is terrifying (laughs) and then you get into the actual episode and you're like okay this isn't as scary as i thought it would be like they really hyped it up in that intro but um so anyways are you afraid of the dark they were 30 minute episodes um the original series was 1999 to 2000 so i kind of caught it at the tail end and then they had reruns for a little bit and then there were other reboots since then. I think the latest one, honestly, I think it was like 2019. Oh, really? Was the they're latest really, series. Really it was like a to bring six this back, huh? Dude, apparently there was supposed to be a movie about this, which is, I mean, everything from our childhood is now becoming a movie. But um, yeah, so 1999-2000 was the original series. They had some reboots. This was all filmed in Canada oh. in the backwoods of canada somewhere i think it was quebec was the province but yeah so they that the secret location you know of the the uh, midnight society was in canada and i thought this was interesting because we've we've done an episode on twilight zone um and are you afraid of the dark has a little bit of a nod to the twilight zone okay um so before every episode before they the kids Sit, sit around a campfire and one of them tells a story and it's a usually a scary story and just before they go into the story they take a little bit of powder out of this bag and they drop it on the fire and it makes it go like real big but the phrase they always said was submitted for the approval of the midnight society i call this story and then they say the title of the story and this was a nod to rod serling sorry rod serling of twilight zone because rob rob rod would usually say submitted for your approval and then he would announce the title of the twilight episode so i thought that was a cool little yeah. nod to a very iconic 
television series. Mm. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I personally like the earlier stories okay. more than the later ones. So the reruns, I didn't know they were the earlier stories. I didn't even know they were reruns when I was watching them until I got a little bit older. But I liked the earlier stories because the writers really tried to develop the characters. So in Are You Afraid of the Dark, it was characters sitting around a campfire telling stories. And so you not only got to know the campfire characters that were really just the intro and the outro of the actual series, but you got to know the characters that were like in the stories that the stories were about. And so what I thought was really cool was each character sitting around the campfire had their own style and you could tell the writers really tried to bring about that style. So you knew if you watched the show enough, like I did, you would know that if, you know, Gary who's sitting at the fire was going to tell the story for the night. You knew that Gary liked magic. You knew he was kind of a nerd. He liked, sorcery and kind of weird stuff like that so you knew the story was going to be about like either an enchanted object or a curse or some magician so or my favorite character in the in the series was stig who is this smelly outcast character Mm -hmm. like the big thing about him was like he smelled weird he looked kind of creepy and he was kind of like overweight. He was just like this outcast character that wasn't a part of the original group of storytellers. He joined later. And so he kind of had to prove himself through his stories. And he only he only ended up telling two stories in the entire series. But both of his stories revolved around kind of misplaced judgment of people's appearances. Mm-hmm. So just judging a book by its cover or like kind of the outcast character experiencing something horrific so yeah. i i always thought that was really cool that the writers and i mean you know i'm watching that as 10 years old i'm not really picking up on that but if you're an adult watching with your kid you kind of picked up on the different style mm-hmm. and i thought that was really cool really intuitive in a children's yeah. you know series so um anyways my favorite episodes from the series <laughs> Tale of the Dead Man's Float. It says Dad Man's Float on our. <laughs> <laughs> dead Man. The no, dead, it's the man. dead Man. Dude, this, I'm going to tell you right now. This was the most terrifying story of, of any of them to me. This made me afraid of the deep end of pools because it was about <laughs> this, this ghost that was like drowned. It drowned as a kid in a, in a pool in a school and it came back to like haunt kids in this pool basically but it would come out of the drain in the deep end and it was like this orange mass it was just freaky man Mm -hmm. so every time i ever swam in a deep end of a pool this is i was like oh my gosh this thing is gonna pop out it's gonna pull me under i'm gonna drown like this thing terrified me so one of the few actual terrifying stories um so it made me afraid of deep ends then there was a, another one called The Tale of the Laughing in the Dark, mm-hmm. and it was about a clown, and this kid basically steals a nose off a clown in this, like, carnival, and then the clown starts to, you know, haunt the kid, and the moral of the story is don't steal. Also, the kid returns the the nose to the clown, and it stops haunting yeah. him. But 
what was cool about that episode was you never actually saw the clown outside of the and it wasn't like a, a person playing a clown. It was like a mechanical clown. <laughs> and so that's the only time you saw it was in the carnival outside the carnival and was haunting the kid. It was either calling him on the phone and laughing or it was like the clown liked to smoke for some reason. So you see like cigar smoke puffing out and like the house or whatever. So it was cool just seeing like not seeing the clown, but seeing like clues to the, that the clown was there. Mm-hmm. So it also made me afraid of clowns. I, I hated that episode. <laughs> um, and then the final one was the tale of the ghastly grinner, <laughs> which was about like this comic book character that this kid reads about and he comes to life somehow. And it's just like freaky yellow jester looking clown that had like blue goo that would like foam from his mouth and, it didn't really make me afraid of anything. It was just a terrifying creature. And it reminded me, I mean, it was like the Joker, but if the Joker was yellow and blue. And so that story always was like, it was really interesting to me because I like the actor who played the, the ghastly grinner. And then it was also just straight up terrifying. So anyways, that is my number five is, are you afraid of the dark? dark? How about you, man? Uh, Number five for me is going to be, Boy Meets World. Uh, this is this yeah, is baby. one I think you know for for me like thinking about it when I watched it, how old I was. A lot of the content in the show was probably far over my head, um, but it was just <laughs> one of those things where they had the whole run on ABC, the TGIF. Thank God it's Friday lineup, and I remember I would watch it with my mom and my brother. Sabrina the Teenage Witch was on, and Boy Meets oh, World yeah. was on. I don't remember what else was on. I just remember those two. But I remember just like really enjoying this show because of Eric. Like that was the the reason why mm-hmm. I love the show. His brother Eric <laughs> yeah. is just so funny all the time. And I, I just this is one of the shows that I liked as a kid, and then you just kind of fell off of it. But this is how TV was just different. During its final season, like, everybody came back, right? Like, you just kind of abandoned Boy Meets World, did you? You know, did all their television for a couple years. Then they announced that Boy Meets World is ending. And everyone came back. Like, my family and I, we came back to see what's going to happen with Corey and Topanga. They get, like, married in the (laughs) final season. And, you know, one of the things that I found out about the show was that Later on, after the show went into syndication on Disney Channel, I think I would watch it nearly every day when it was on. Um, yeah. I found that a lot of the episodes I skipped as a kid, like when Corey's in college and all of that, like I saw the early years and then the, the final episode, um, the final season. But some of the ones when he's in college, when he's not living at home anymore, is some of my favorite ones in the series. I think the show got a little bit uh, funnier then. And maybe it's just because you get to see a lot more of, like, Eric. Um, Like, (laughs) (laughs) But one one of my favorite episodes in the series, and the reason why I think it's funny is is because at the time, I didn't fully understand the joke. But I always thought of this episode whenever I had to write a paper 
and we were given like a word count on how long it needed to be. So Eric was writing like his final like senior thesis or something to get. It was like the final class he had to pass in order to get into college. And he had kind of given up on college. He was like, I'm not really the college type. And, and you know, it's fine. It's admirable not to go to college and do something else with your life. And, but because it's like a white collar show and it's about a middle-class family, of course he's got to go to college. And so, so anyway, He's got to write this big, long paper for uh, Mr. (laughs) Feeney's class, and it's supposed to be 5,000 words on. I don't even remember what it is, and he comes in with this big, like, fat stack of papers. Have you ever seen this one? No, I have He comes in with this big, fat stack of papers, and he's like, all right, Feeney, I decided to write it. He says whatever his topic is, slams it down on the paper, 50,000 words. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then George Feeney just tells him, he's like, uh, Mr. Matthews, it was only supposed to be 5,000 words. And he takes like a like a portion of the paper, like rips it off and hands it to him. He said, that should do. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I just always remember, like, man, one day I want to have the confidence to just like walk into class and have totally just do. like over, gone way above and beyond. Yeah. And just like rip off my papers and turn it in. Um, yeah, that yeah. was one of my favorites. <laughs> and then, uh, kind of like looking up some information about the show is the, the pitch for this move, this show was actually very simple. I guess it all started off as like, we're going to make a show about a teenage boy who is next door neighbors with his high school principal. Like that was like the pitch for the show originally. Um, oh, and then it wow. just kind of, it morphed over time, but that was like the original yeah. concept they wanted to go with. And then of course, uh, George Feeney doesn't start off as the principal. He's a teacher in the beginning who becomes principal, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how you can walk in to a pitch meeting with such a basic concept and like, Oh man, that's, that's yeah. what a show turns into. Um, right, right. which is pretty neat. And, um, you know, one of the things I will say about the show, even though I liked it, I enjoyed it, it was fun to watch, I was never a huge fan of Corey. Like, I always kind of liked the other characters in the show more than Corey. And I don't think it's because anything's wrong with him. Um, Mm. But mainly, I always just kind of thought what was going on with the other characters was a little bit, you know, more interesting. Yeah. you know, Sh- Sean, huh. Sean Topanga, uh, his brother yeah. Eric, George Feeney. I was like, oh, hey, this is, I don't know. They're just more interesting to me. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. Also, another fun fact, like I, I've always kind of thought of Boy Meets World as being like somewhat of a spiritual sequel to The Wonder Years, right? For like, you know, oh, get yeah. the family yeah. back in. And if people didn't know, I'm sure a lot of people know that Ben Savage is, you know, Fred Savage, who was the star of Wonder Years. It's his younger brother. So you kind of mm, just like yeah. plucked one family member out. We're going to put you in kind of a very similar show. And instead of it being based <laughs> on the life lessons you learn from you going through school in the 60s, it's more contemporary. And if you yeah. really boil it down, they're very, very similar shows. Uh that's where, a good point. You know, I would say Boy Meets World has a little bit of a lower bar on its comedic mm. value, um, whereas I think uh, Wonder Years has a little bit more of a sophisticated humor. Um, but yeah, that's my number five. Boy, I almost said nice, I almost man. said Wonder Years. <laughs> Boy Meets <laughs> <laughs> World. What? Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, I love that show. That'll make an appearance on my list at at some point, but. 
Yeah. So for me, number four, and we've done an episode on this, so this one will be quick for me. Smallville. This was <laughs> somebody a show. Me. <laughs> Remy Zero, know, baby. The theme. <laughs> oh man. I mean, this show just reminds me of sitting in my father's office in his den, just watching the show with him. Man, I mean, this was my dad's and my show. Like we just watched it every week, got super invested. So this always brings back great memories of my childhood, just getting really with my dad. Um, Run through some facts here real quick. I'm not going to go over this one too heavy. Like I said, we did an episode on it. Um, IMDb gave it a 7.5 out of 10. So pretty decent. Um, Here's something interesting. Ackles. Some of you guys might know that. For those who don't, he is Dean from Supernatural, the real cool, suave brother with the car. Um, He was the second choice to play Clark Kent in this series. If Tom, yeah, if Tom Welling, who ended up being Clark Kent in the Smallville series, if he was like, hey, I don't want that role, I'm busy doing something else, they were going to go with Jensen Ackles. To build on that, something even more interesting that I found was there was a planned crossover episode between Supernatural and Smallville where Dean and Sam Winchester, who are the main characters for uh, Supernatural, mm-hmm. were going to have to save Smallville <clears throat> and Tom Welling from, quote-unquote, a Superman curse. Hmm. So there was going to be some Supernatural event happening in Smallville. They were going to somehow go to Smallville. and there The characters were all going to meet. I thought that was really cool, but apparently they didn't think <laughs> think that was as cool as I did, and they scrapped the whole thing and were like, we're not going to do that. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to see the, the actually pretty close tie-in with Supernatural and mm-hmm. Smallville, and then, you know, them considering a possible crossover episode. But my number four is Smallville. Hmm. Very nice. Uh, my number four, I'm actually going to do this one quickly. Uh, this is kind of on my list because it wasn't really in its prime when I was you know, interested in watching television on a weekly basis, but this show was on all the time. And okay. my sister and I loved the show. And this is kind of like something that my sister and I would watch together. My mom would watch it too. Like everybody kind of loved this uh, show in the Haggard household. And that is Full House. Oh, um, yeah. Full House. I don't know if it's still on all the time. But when I was a kid, this show was on just like all the time. If you mm. hadn't seen Full House and you didn't know the concept of Full House, you didn't have a TV. This show was just on all the time. But I always liked the concept of three brothers. Well, right, two brothers and then two. a friend. Um, yeah. Two brothers and then Uncle Joey. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, coming together after a tragedy and then just kind of adventuring through what it's like to raise a family of all girls i like i like really kind of just (laughs) silly (laughs) concepts like that in entertainment right just like what would it be like for three grown men to raise three young girls right and Mm -hmm. and i think that it's funny it's got a lot of interesting uh dynamics in the show i remember as a kid, like one of the things about Full House, right? You watch Full House and you kind of see Mary Kate and Ashley as a 
baby, right? Like she's yeah. a baby in the first season of the show, and you kind of watch her grow up on the show, both of them. And then it's it's one of those things where it's just kind of weird to like see where they are now. You see, it's like oh, wow, kind of <laughs> like these, they, yeah, they're kind of like these really like Vogue looking fashion experts. Or I, I don't yeah. mean any offense, but like, talk so, about a plot arc. You know, they, they kind of scare me a little bit, especially the you know, fact that they killed Heath Ledger pretty much. Yeah, um, <laughs> got them all, <laughs> got them all addicted on drugs. And, yeah. It's a really dark turn to go from, you know, the little girl who uh, yeah. <laughs> is always you know, saying her little witty lines to, uh, you know, where they are like now. Heath Ledger. <laughs> oh, that is not fact. That is yeah. not proven. It's just, <laughs> it's somewhat documented that once Heath Ledger started hanging uh, out with the Olsen yeah. twins, some we, bad habits. We no longer had them. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's like, oh man. I guess. Okay. So I guess the way the story goes is when he was starting to feel like real sick, like something wasn't going right. The first person he called was one of the Olsen twins. Didn't he call like the doctor and ambulance or whatever? Like, oh, oh they got what the are these drugs you gave me doing? Yeah. Oh, but oh, that's sad. Anyway, Full House is on my list. Uh, this is one of the shows too that. You are given a certain perspective, at least me as a young person, was given a certain perspective on who Bob Saget was. And it was kind of kind of jarring. Boy, you, he turned out you, very different. When you grow up and you you find out he's like, oh man, he's a yeah, he's a pretty classic comedian, right? And I think I think his stuff is pretty funny, but it's like it's interesting it's like, to see, you know, him as as dad on Full House, and then it's like, oh wow, like, okay. <laughs> Just yeah. like you know. It's you got Bill Cosby's stand-up comedy and then the Cosby Show. It's like okay, well that makes sense. That's and then I you thought. got Bob Saget, and it's like oh, well, <laughs> is that's this the same guy? You know? like, yeah. <laughs> completely different. Yeah, dude. Oh man, I remember the first time I watched a Bob Saget stand-up. I was like, <laughs> what? Full, full <laughs> house, Dad. This is. Did they do they know he's doing this? Like, <laughs> did, kind of no, did he get permission to do this? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. But uh, it's funny stuff, though. Yeah. Full but, house, man. Anyway, full house. That's my number four. What is your number three, Zach? Number three. All right. We're going to we're going over to Cartoon Network here, man. Cartoon Network, yes. We're going with Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Ed, Ed, and ah, Eddie yes. was I, a staple. Was a, Love this show. Staple of my childhood, man. This is 1999. It aired, and it's basically about the life of three friends living in a cul-de-sac, and they all they want to do is just score some jawbreakers, man. That's the plot of the entire series. They're just trying to figure out how to get some jawbreakers. And aside from the whole scheming and jawbreaker part, this was my life, dude. Was I lived in a cul-de-sac. I had two... <laughs> really close friends growing up. I had a character of like cast of other kids that lived in our neighborhood yeah. that we were always like, Oh, that's that kid. Oh, that's like, they all had their, like, you know, their tropes. Yeah. And so this was my life. And I think that's why this, this story, this show struck a chord with me, man. Mm -hmm. Um, it was created by, um, Oh, I'm going to butcher this name. Danny and Antacut. 
Anton Nucci. Anton Nucci. Uh, it's a you know <laughs> Italian name here. Uh, Dan Antonucci. Antonucci. Yeah. So Dan. Yeah, I would. I would say Antonucci. Antonucci. Okay. That's what I would say. Antonucci. That's probably how it is. Antonucci. So, <laughs> anyways, he created the show, and he was actually more famous for more adult content and shows, and so he kind of came from the adult cartoon world and was dared to create a kid show for Cartoon Network. So what was he uh what was he creating before? Uh dude, I had I looked it up. There were okay. two shows I had never heard of. Okay. Um I just okay. knew that they were more adult themed. So um if anyone wants to look them up, they can look them up. I didn't even watch any of them, but um so anyways, this good thing he took the dare because this was nominated for a lot of awards and won a bunch of awards for mm-hmm. the cartoon. So it attracted 31 million viewers over on average over 120 countries. So this was a worldwide show. And to this day, it is the longest running Cartoon Network series. It ran for nice. 11 years, dude. So it concluded in 2009 with a movie, um, which I never saw because by 2009 I was over Ed and Eddie. Um, but a lot of the show episodes are based off of Antonucci's sons. They, he's got a couple of sons much like you and he just based a lot of the, the episodes and the, the misadventures off of just this crazy, stupid stuff his sons would do. And it's very interesting. Yeah. uh, The reason why, did, Go he ahead. Might, did he not think very highly of his sons? Uh, I, I think that I think the the adventures. I don't think the Eds were based off his sons. I think okay. Okay. I think the okay. things that they did were based off of his sons' like happenings. Yeah, I, I see. Don't, I don't think I, the personalities. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. But um, the kind of to go off that that in that vein, the reason why, if you know the show well enough, all three Eds have three different colored tongues for some reason the whole show is kind of i weird. never i never noticed they all had three different yeah colored there's tongues. three different colored tongues and the reason why they have that is because one day his sons came in for dinner and they had been eating some kind of candy and both of them had like one had a purple tongue one had a green tongue and he's like i'm gonna use that that is a very <laughs> kid thing to do so that's part of the reason why that's i think the only part of the ed's personality physical appearance taken from his kids yeah. so yeah i don't think he thought very i don't think he was <laughs> which like one, which one which one was eddie you know? <laughs> <laughs> right no um so anyways all five or all episodes until season five take place in the summer which i thought was interesting because you know summers are eternal mm-hmm. to you as a kid they go on forever all your adventures are over the summer so he wanted to put a lot of them during summer to make it seem more, you know, they can do whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not bogged down by school. You know, I don't think you ever see them in school. Um, anyways, just a couple of my favorite episodes. There's one called um, one plus one equals Ed. And I thought this was one of the funniest episodes. I still think it's funny to today. Ed, who is not the smartest kid in, in the cul-de-sac, he starts to, he starts questioning everything this episode. He starts wondering why something works the way it works. Why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? You know, all the classic yeah. kid questions. 
and also all the questions Ed would never ask, <laughs> like the questions that just completely go through the empty space that is in Ed's head. And so he starts to try to understand everything, mm-hmm. which in turn starts to break everything like around town just starts breaking down into this like by the end they're in this like surreal like kind of psychedelic trip of a (laughs) episode because reality itself is completely falling apart because ed is asking questions (laughs) about certain things and how they work and i always thought that was the funniest episode (laughs) because ed's just asking questions yeah um and then another one, and this was probably other than that that last one, probably my second favorite one, Once Upon an Ed, because this is like one of the few episodes where you really get into the mind of each one of the Eds. And for those who are like, what do you keep saying Eds for? So Ed, Ed, and Eddie are the three main characters <laughs> in this show. So they're all Eds at some level. And so anyways, in this one, you get – they get stuck in a wall for – some reason in Johnny's house, Johnny two by four, who's the kid with like the plank as his like imaginary friend. <laughs> and so, so anyways, they get stuck in his wall somehow. And they're like each explaining to Johnny how they ended up in his wall. But you get three different stories that are the psychology of each of the Eds. So like Ed, Eddie, who's like the conniving, like, I want to score jawbreakers kind of like the, the, the swindler of the group. You get one story and then you get double D who's like the real mathematical, real logical and organized one. You get one story. That's really kind of probably the truth, honestly, mm-hmm. out of all of them. And then, <laughs> then you get Ed's story, which is like <laughs> about like radioactive, like <laughs> potatoes somehow that have nothing to do with anything. So, but I like that episode because you got the psychology of the ads and really kind of the heart of the story yeah. or a heart of the, of the series. So yeah. Anyways, number three for me, Ed, Ed and Eddie. I'm glad you mentioned that show. Cause that, that would have definitely been on my list if it hadn't been on yours. This was one I remember I would watch this show every day after school. It was on like right after school at Ed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and this was one that I watched this cartoon, like well beyond normal cartoon watching age. Like guys, I, I feel like I watched this like well in junior high and stuff too. I didn't, not in high school, but um, yeah, I would still come home in junior high, like flip on Cartoon Network, you know, make sure all my windows were closed and no one was looking at my house and all of that. And then watch yeah. the cartoons. <laughs> Go yeah, in for the but, cartoon. But I will say about this show, like the humor itself, just from what I remember, is probably still funny to an adult because mm-hmm. I'm sure this is one of the shows that my parents like flipped on and were like, what the heck are you watching? You are getting dumber by the second watch of this show. <laughs> But I feel like that show has, like, if you have kind of that goofy sense of humor, it doesn't yeah. really matter how old you are to enjoy it. Because you can kind of look back at your own childhood and remember people like the Eds, or maybe you were like that yourself. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a right. good one. Number number three, three on my list is one I was surprised wasn't on your list. I was shocked by this. Uh, yeah, it's Pokemon, the animated mm. series, especially the the first like run when mm-hmm. when Ash 
He's doing like the Indigo League run. I remember that this was on at a weird time. Actually, I think it was on two times a day. I mm-hmm. think it was on after school, but they would play the previous day's episode before school. Yep. So I remember my brother and I, we would have breakfast and we'd watch Pokemon before school every single day. Me too, man. And, yes. And I, I just, I remember that... Like, I felt so cool because my brother, who was like 12 or something at the time, maybe 11, quite, you know, older than me, but I remember him saying like, oh, this is actually a pretty cool show. And I just felt so cool watching it because, you know, it's a cartoon for my kids, but my older brother thought it was cool. So it's like, oh man, my older brother likes Pokemon. He thinks it's cool. Like he never got into the games or anything, but yeah, yeah, I just remember that feeling. And it's funny because I've gone back and watched some of these episodes with my kids and introduced them to Pokemon. And Mm -hmm. there are some episodes that I still remember vividly to this day. Like as soon as they start, like I can walk you through everything that happens. Like when (laughs) Ash gets his Charmander, like I I remember like having to go to school all sad that day. (laughs) That was like an emotional one. Like, (laughs) and you kind of get to understand how the Pokemon Center works. Like in the video games, you could just kind of drop off your Pokemon balls. And and they're all good, right? But you know, no, the Pokemon Center was full. There really wasn't enough room for him to get help. (laughs) And it's like, oh man, this is emotional. Yeah. And then, you know, another one when Pikachu's got to fight the Raichu. Um, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's another one. And the kid mm-hmm. who abuses his Pokemon, like there's, there's still episodes yeah. that it's like, wow, you know, I remember these and I remember them vividly. And I, I feel like that was something the show was very good at. I don't know if it's still good at, but every mm-hmm. episode had like some type of behavioral moral that a child should learn from it. And yeah. And whether or not you think Pokemon is stupid, I would say, like, as a parent, it's a pretty good show to let your kids watch because while it's not going to be educational in any way, it is, like, a morally good show that kind of teaches kids how to take care of their things, how to behave good, how to treat your friends, how not to treat other people. And, you know, Ash is just your stereotypical good guy, right? Yeah. Um, and and I do think that the show holds up pretty well. I mean, the animation is is you know a little bit dated, but yeah, you know, still I think it's it's a great show. It's a good show. And, and oh it, yeah, it probably holds up a lot better than most animated shows from when we were kids. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say that you could probably sit down and watch Ed, Ed, and Eddie. The animation in that show was very good, like for its time and still today. Just a lot yeah. of effort put into it, but. Yeah. Pokemon's yeah. another one I would say holds up. And of course, you know, you couldn't get enough Pokemon in in the late 90s, early 2000s, anywhere oh, you could dude. get it like you were taking it in. It was a phenomenon. Yeah. Pokemon fever was real and it was, it was. because of that show. Yeah. I went headlong into everything Pokemon. So okay. So you were into show. the show first and then the cards and then the game? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did yeah. I started watching the show. It was like, this is sweet. And then I got into the video game and I'm like, this is even cooler. Yeah. And then I got into the card game and I was like, life doesn't get any better. Does, like this is get any better. <laughs> this, is the, <laughs> this is the pinnacle of life is <laughs> collecting cards playing my Game Boy Color, watching Pokemon in the morning before school, dude. I still remember sitting at my table eating cereal, 
watching Pokemon. My mom would put it on for me because she knew that would get me out of bed downstairs. (laughs) I'd try and catch it because I knew my friends were going to be talking about it in school. I had to watch it. It was it was great. And I would get home and catch the next episode. Yeah, it was it was like it was Uh, the glory days, man. The glory days. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you had a similar childhood experience. I'm curious, like people who are listening, who were kids at the same time, like had the same routine of like, get yeah, cereal, Pokemon, <laughs> cereal, like, Pokemon, <laughs> yep, bus, Pop Tart, bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Oh, oh that's good. All right, man. So moving on to number two for me. This is a big one. I'm sure most people listening have seen this, have heard about it, watched at least one episode. We're talking about football head, man. Football We're talking head. Hey Arnold. hey, Arnold. This was a staple that intro, man, that like scat da, 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 that's intro gets you going, get all the characters introduced. Um, this was kind of a diversion, though, from my my lineup of cartoon shows. Yeah. I, I would say Are You Afraid of the Dark was, I mean, that's not a cartoon show, but my cartoon shows were mostly slapstick, funny, goofy humor. Hey Arnold was kind of a, it was more of a serious, thoughtful show, man. And it's interesting that it became so big. Um, scored a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, and is basically just a show that revolved around a, f- I, first of all, I didn't realize Hey Arnold was, Hey Arnold, Arnold was this young. He was fourth grade, man. He's nine. Um, I thought, thought he was i for some reason always thought he was older probably just because he had the freedom to do whatever in, <laughs> yeah, this in the city, city just go, go anywhere <laughs> like some nine-year-old just living yeah. life in the city <laughs> um but basically it was just about a football-headed kid and his adventures in urban life it was just him living in the city and he would go on adventures with his friends um i'll just say it I wanted to live in Arnold's room more than anything. I wanted that room with the skylight, the bed that I would fold out, like all the cool gadgets he had, like attic. Like it was a sweet room. And let's be honest, who didn't want this kid's room? It was a cool room. It definitely um, was. One of the coolest rooms in cartoon history, in my opinion. And his city was pretty sweet too, man. It had literally everything. Like it, I, I it was obviously not a real city um the city as noted by craig barlett bartlett who was the creator of the show said that it's basically a mishmash of portland seattle and brooklyn so he just kind of slammed a bunch of different cities together and you kind of get this i always thought it was chicago but okay it was it's called hillsdale or hills something maybe they think that it's never really officially named but there's certain like hospitals and stuff that the kids pass by that say a name that's like oh that might be the the city but it's just basically a mishmash of portland seattle and brooklyn um interesting enough harold arnold's character from the show is actually a minor character in the peewee's playhouse show so there are these claymation shorts, these episodes that were played, I guess, on the Pee Wee's Playhouse show. And Arnold was one of those characters on those claymation shows. Oh, so okay. he started out as just a sideshow on a different show. And one of those episodes 
aired on Sesame Street. And I think Nickelodeon was like, hey, it's pretty good. Like mm-hmm. I, we, we're really interested in Arnold. They really like the character character of Arnold, who is this, you know, morally right, like wants to do the right thing kind of kid. Um, kind of has like kind of a tragic backstory, but you know, it's just trying to do the right thing all the time. And it's really good for kids to learn about that. So, um, Nickelodeon was like, we want, we want to buy this. We want to put this on our, our, you know, our network. Yeah. And what they did, which I thought was really cool. All the voice actors in Hey Arnold are all children. So it wasn't like Rugrats where it's adults acting like having children's voice or, you know, Various shows do that a lot. These were actual kid actors. Yeah. And this was the first time Nickelodeon ever did this. So props to these kids, man. I thought the acting's yeah. always been pretty on point, which is part of why the show's so good. Yeah. Is that you really feel like these kids are, you know, middle school students mm-hmm. or elementary school. I don't know. What what are how what grade are you in? Fourth grade? That's fourth grade. Yeah, uh, nine elementary nine, school. Yeah, elementary school. Wow, that's crazy. Um, question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know Arnold's last name? I don't. His last name is Shortman, which is why <laughs> his grandpa calls him Shortman all the time. Oh. It's not actually calling him like a short man. He's calling him by his last name. Gotcha. That was really interesting. Yeah, that is clever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Here's another interesting fact. Dan Cast ooh, Castanelletta. I'm gonna say that name really wrong. There you go. But he's the voice of Arnold's grandpa. Do you know who he also voices in a different cartoon show? I don't. I probably butchered his name, so you probably <laughs> wouldn't know. But he is also the voice of Homer Simpson in The oh, Simpsons. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. so Homer Simpson voices Arnold's grandpa. Okay. In Arnold. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, couple more facts here. The DJ that you'll sometimes hear on the radio in Hey Arnold, the guy that usually announces the snow day or a heat wave or traffic or whatever on Arnold's radio that wakes him up in the morning, is actually the voice of the creator, Craig Bartlett. So the guy who oh. created Hey Arnold voices the actual DJ in the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to run through just two, two of my favorite episodes here. Number one, snow day episode, dude, this was epic snow day. Every kid relates to this. It just dumps snow in the city and all the kids are out playing and skating and fighting with snowballs and stuff. And Arnold has to do work around the apartment he has to work for his grandpa and get fi- things fixed up for the tenants and, uh, you know, doing all that stuff. And so Arnold can't play. He's got to work. And then by the end, his grandpa realizes, you know what? Kid's got to have a snow day. He's got to experience the <laughs> epic American snow day. Yeah. Gets the gets the hockey rink out there, you know, freezes the street and they play hockey. And Arnold has one of the best snow days ever. I always yeah. like that. That episode. Cause I was like, man, I want a snow day like that. That's awesome. And then the, my probably all time favorite episode, dude, Stoop Kid. This is afraid to leave a stoop. <laughs> Everyone knows the chance. Stoop Kid's afraid <laughs> to leave a stoop. 
kids this doesn't want to see the world doesn't want to see other stoops i always thought that was a really funny joke like they show them all like the pyramids and like all the different stoops around the world <laughs> at these monuments they're like you could be sitting on that stoop you could be sitting on that stoop. <laughs> and so stoop kid i mean he eventually leaves his stoop it's got a happy ending and he chases harold the bully down the street um <laughs> And it's it's a great ending, but I always love the stoop kid. <laughs> There's kids stoop kids afraid to leave a stoop. Yeah, man. Uh, so for me, Hey Arnold was a staple. It was like kind of a diversion from a lot of of my funnier slappy yeah. stick. Yeah, yeah. Episodes. Hey Arnold was a good one, man. I liked that one a lot um, as a kid. That's probably one that um, I would say would probably still even be enjoyable to rewatch with my own kids. Uh, yeah. It's a good one. It's got good lessons. Yeah. The, Arnold's just a great kid. I yeah. mean, he's just doing yeah, exactly. the right thing all the time. So, yeah, yeah, man. Hey, Arnold's my number two. Why don't you give me yours? All right. So we're staying in the animated realm, and we're going to a oldie but a goodie. Uh, this is probably one of the older ones on my list. Batman the Animated Series. Like, this oh, is... Yeah. This show is so good, and a lot of nostalgia attached. I will say that. I feel like if, you know, a kid went in to watch a cartoon, because I've tried watching this with my kids, and then I watch the first episode, I'm like, God, it's a little too, you know, a little too advanced for it, yeah. them right now. Because um, it really is, it's one of those shows where it's like, it's really kind of aimed towards an older kid, maybe even a teenager. Um, yeah, but it's also like, I hate to say it. Some of the early episodes didn't age too well as far as like the animation goes and all of that. But (laughs) man, talk about like really kind of, I feel like the Batman, the animated series kind of takes what Frank Miller was doing with Batman, sets it into a, um, you know, a, a more family-friendly Gotham City. But I feel like Batman the Animated Series is an evolution from Frank Miller's take on Batman, which has kind of been the tone of Batman since, you know? Yeah. Which, it's pretty... It's saying something for an animated series to be so monumental for a character. And, you know, you had what was going on in the Batman movies. I feel like, you know, you had you had a very different type of Batman, especially with, like, Batman mm-hmm. Forever and Batman and Robin. And it's like, oh, geez, like, yeah. holy cow. But uh, Batman the Animated Series, fantastic show. I can't remember the name of the animator. I wish I could, but, but he did... Mm-hmm. He basically, he got the green light to do, like, his own DC universe before DC, you know, cinema, you know, before the comic book universes were all over film. Like, he got signed on to do the deal. He did Batman the Animated Series. He did the Justice League, the late 90s Justice League. I can't remember what it's called. Maybe Justice League Unlimited or something like that. And Superman the Animated Series. So if you watch those shows, you can tell that they all kind of have a similar look. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is because technically I think that's supposed to be all the same like universe or they're all at least from the same uh, creator, writer, lead animator. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I would say that Batman the animated series. Um, one of the things that we got from this series, at least influenced by this series, is one of the better animated movies 
um, that you'll see. Uh, I believe it's called Mask of the Phantasm, something like that. I can't remember the exact name of the title, but a very well-known animated Batman film done in the same style as Batman the Animated Series, and it is phenomenal, like a, like a must-watch if you're yeah. a, a Batman fan uh, in any way. And I know that there's mm. still a lot of, like, animated Batman movies that are coming out that are very much influenced by this series. But for for me, man, this takes that takes us back to Saturday morning cartoons. Like, you know, a yeah, lot of these dude. shows we've talked about were like the ones we would watch after school. And and I think with the rise of Toonami, like that that was once Toonami started, that kind of set the tone for yeah. like after school was the time to watch cartoons. But, like, yeah. Batman was very much in the heyday of, like, Saturday morning. Like, you had the Saturday morning superhero lineup. Um, one network had Batman. Another network had Spider-Man and X-Men. Like, there there was a pretty good lineup going on on Saturday mornings. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. But but kind of all the... Dude, they had Transformers. Yeah. They had all the Spider-Man. Shows. They had, all the action yeah. shows were on yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was another one. Um, TMNT, yep. And so, uh, but for me, like out of all of those, the ones I always made sure to watch was Batman. Um, cause it was just yeah. the best. Like it was, there's, mm. there's Batman, the animated series, and it just kind of blows everything out of the water. Like I know a lot of people liked the X-Men show. That was very good, but that was my dad's favorite. I still think yeah. Batman really just outshone the other ones in my opinion. So, yeah, dude, I mean, Saturday mornings was that action even like I don't want to say more adult, but like I always found my dad watching Saturday morning cartoons yeah. with me because he would just be like, oh, yeah, this is more my style. Yeah. It was Batman, Transformers, yeah. X-Men, like, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that he grew up with that yeah. was kind of revamped for our generation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I remember watching this one not as much as, oh, what was the the other Batman one with the young Batman? Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond, dude. I watched that one a lot. That one, that was huge when it came yeah, out. It like young Batman, Bruce Wayne teaching the new generation of Batman. Um, but yeah, I, I was a big fan of, of this one as well. The animation was just different. Yeah. That's what I really enjoyed about it. It was darker in a way, but like just different. I believe this was the first cartoon to have um, blood in it that ever aired on network television. Oh. It's the first cartoon oh. to have blood in network television. I don't have the information right in front of me, but I feel like that's like a fact I have stored. <laughs> I'm gonna like, say that like fact. Like the haggard gene of like random trivia facts. It's it's in there, guys. I know I read it. <laughs> I read it somewhere from a reputable source. I'm pretty sure that that's true. So <laughs> if it's not, well, you can correct me. Email us, steellakestudio.com slash community. Let us and, know. You know, let yeah. me know. <laughs> All right, man. We're going to move on to just two quick honorable mentions. Actually, I think I have three. Three quick honorable mentions for me. Um, I'm not going to go into super details with these. But we've got, for me, if if I had another five episodes or five Mm -hmm. shows to pick from these could have been in you know rotation here um legends of the hidden temple legend of the hidden temple oh dude i wanted on this show so bad because i was always like these kids they don't know how to be athletic (laughs) like i could 
do this. Weren't you scared a uh, little bit? You'd be taken by those creepy dudes. I that that was freaky, man. I did not like that about the show. It was a great element of it, but I always was freaked yeah. out about that. But I was always like, I could do this. I could do this. Um, Pokemon, like you said, was another one. And then Boy Meets World. I always really liked that yeah. show as well. So those are my honorable mentions. And then I'm going to move into my number one Go here, man. It. Do it. This is my number one. Number one. Courage the cowardly dog. Wow. And I want to say, I think of my top five, are you afraid of the dark and courage? The cowardly dog probably have influenced my creativity and have influenced my writing and the stories I want to tell more than any other shows because I gravitate more toward those horror thriller suspense stories. So encourage the cowardly dog was my favorite because I like the art style. I it was a show that was on Cartoon Network and I didn't have Cartoon Network go, growing up. So whenever I got to watch Cartoon Network, I was always hoping Courage was on because I enjoyed for some reason I just enjoyed that show more than any other show on Cartoon Network. I liked like I said the art style, I liked the characters, I liked the monsters that were s- kind of scary mm-hmm. but then would end up just generally being silly or you know yeah. dumb or something at the end of the day. So they like were less threatening. Um, I just, I liked how every episode was laid out. Just, you know, someone would come to nowhere. I liked the, the setting of Mm -hmm. nowhere where they lived just in the middle of literally nowhere. (laughs) And then the monster would show up. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, the whole thing was just like, I love the atmosphere, the atmosphere, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but IMDB gave this an 8.2 out of 10. I, think it deserves an 8.2 i think it deserves a 9 out of 10 i thought this show was incredible um i love the angles of this show because so the fan theory is there's a bunch of fan theories out there and i don't want to go through all of them because some of them are dumb but i think this fan theory is the truest one and the one that i kind of side with um the fan theory is the show is told through the point of view of courage who is a dog and a dog doesn't know the difference between a doctor, a salesman, a barber, uh, whatever monster, quote unquote, a monster shows up on set or on screen. Courage doesn't know that that's a normal part of daily life. Mm. He just thinks this is a threat to my family. Like I've got to protect them. And so the question always is in this fan theory, which I subscribe to, are they actual monsters or are they just courage's perception of everyday yeah. people because he's a dog and he has no idea and how cowardly does that make courage you know is and right is, how cowardly does that make him you know is he actually yeah. cowardly or just you know doing what dogs do you know he's a little yeah, scared cuz these these strange people are at his house yeah i think it's a little mislabeling to say that courage is cowardly i think his name is very apt because he's protects his family every episode yeah he's scared throughout but he's not like shying away from the challenge ever he's always wanting to 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 help so i always like that fan theory because i think that might be the most accurate point of view and the most accurate theory um for the show because all a lot of these guys end up being just normal professions they're just kind of crazy versions of it and it's like well this is just courage's 
perception of them. So I always, I always enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, I first saw courage, the cowardly dog on a VHS. My VHS was Scooby-Doo and the alien invaders, Mm -hmm. which has ended up being one of my all time favorite Scooby-Doo movies ever. Um, but at the very beginning of Scooby-Doo, they had a like two episode. No, I think it was one episode. Maybe it was two. But I remember the one more clearly of Courage the Cowardly Dog before, you know, Scooby-Doo played. So they had like a how Pixar does like the shorts before their show or before their movie. Scooby-Doo had Courage the Cowardly Dog for some reason playing before Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders. And it was the. Um, King Ramsey's curse, the return, the slab episode with like the creepy scare, terrifying. Honestly, when I was a kid, I was like, this is very scary. And it was just this Pharaoh wanting his slab back (laughs) and Eustace, who's the, the dad, the grand, yeah, the dad, the old dad, which is like, it's mine. Like, <laughs> like tell the guy, like, get off my lawn. Like, get out of here. This is mine. Like, so, so he ends like, that's the first time I ever saw courage. And I was like, this show is awesome. Like, yeah, I'm terrified, but this is sweet. Like, I love the art. I love the characters are funny. Like courage is crazy. Um, but I always remember the return, the slab, because that's what the, the scary dude says the whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I love the art style. Didn't think this monsters were all that scary. Um, at, it, they ended, usually ended up being silly. I thought they were scary at first. They usually ended up having some quirk to them. Yeah. That's like, oh, okay, you're not, not scary anymore, which is good because it's a kid show. <laughs> um, here's something really interesting. The, the names of Courage's owners. So Eustace and Muriel mm-hmm. are his owners are actually taken from Chandler Bing and Ross Geller from Friends. <laughs> That's funny. That is their middle names. <laughs> so they, yeah. So they took the middle names from Chandler and Ross from Friends and made them the main characters or the the owners of Courage the Cowardly That's Dog. That's funny. So that, yeah, thought that was pretty funny. Um, another fun fact: if you watch the show, there's a picture at the bottom of the stairs on the right hand side. Um, it's actually a sketch of John Dilworth. Who's the creator of the show? Okay. That's neat. Yeah. And then just a few of my favorite episodes here. Just want to say the freaky Fred was super scary. If you've ever seen that one, um, it's the dude with the wild blonde hair. He's the barber. And he is always saying he's done something naughty, something very naughty. He's, he says that the whole, all of his stuff ends with like, I've done something naughty. <laughs> um, comes to the house to give them haircuts and the whole story, which I really liked, is told in rhyme um, from the point of view of Freaky Fred. Uh-huh. And it's actually a parody of Sweeney Todd, the play Sweeney okay. Todd or the musical. Sweeney Todd. So um, they do a parody of that, which I thought was cool. And then one of the dumbest ones, but one of my favorite ones called the clutching foot, where basically Eustace gets a fungus in his foot and turns into a giant foot. <laughs> and But each of the toes are like a tropey quintessential mobster (laughs) and they're all like arguing with each other the whole episode about like how to like kill each one of them because they're like no no we should we should drown them say and like (laughs) this like but each one of them has its own person it's like watching goodfellas but they're all like a giant a toe of a giant 
stinky foot. So I always like that one. But yeah, man, this this show influenced me heavily. And even to this day, it's one of my favorite shows. I'll, I love watching it when it's on on some random television somewhere because I don't have like cable TV or whatever. I don't even know what this is on anymore. But um, it's probably yeah, this, HBO the Max, stories, right? Because it's Turner. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Um, but yeah, just the stories, the characters, the monsters have influenced my writing because I like how they take not like scary looking monsters and then they make them silly. Yeah. And that's just like, I think that's a good thing. Like we can overcome our monsters. Uh, like the things that scare us are usually not as scary as you think they are. And I think that's a good theme that is carried through, um, of courage, the cowardly dog. So. That's my number one, man. Why don't you give me your number one? We can wrap this up. My number one is actually something that we covered in depth a long, long time ago. Yeah, baby. This will always be the most influential show of my childhood because of how it connected me with friends. And that is Dragon Ball Z. I did have a couple honorable mentions. I guess I'll say them here real quick. Uh, yeah. I forgot. Uh, friends, I would remember I was able to con my mom into letting me stay up late because I acted like I liked Friends. Um, where, you know, I, I don't think it was a bad show, but I know I was way too young to be watching it. For some reason, my mom still let me. Um, but she would <laughs> let me stay up like a half an hour later to watch Friends. You're like, um, I love the show. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> but uh, another one too the reason why this wasn't on my main list is because I, I got into this show a little bit on the late side kind of when I was starting to grow yeah. out of cartoons but Recess very good show mm-hmm. very good cartoon yeah. and then another one where I liked it but I couldn't tell you like a single thing that happens in this show outside of like the main line and that's Dexter's Lab uh, but I remember watching it a lot <laughs> but not really taking it in I guess <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah you know that's a good Didi, one get out of my laboratory I mean it's <laughs> my you know, laboratory it's, uh, it's iconic always always yeah. remember how to spell laboratory because of laboratory laboratory um, but my number one is definitely dragon ball z this is a show that when it when it came out and it, and we got the full experience in the United States. Like I remember when it came out, there was the ocean translation and then the show just like stopped. It stopped in the middle of the Frieza saga. I was in like second grade and it was like, what the where did the show go? And it was just like <laughs> gone. It was gone, disappeared into the ether. And then it got picked up uh to for them to kind of finish it. And yeah. And I remember watching the whole thing on Toonami like every day after school, Dragon Ball Z. There were some days where there weren't new episodes and it was like, oh, no, it's not a new one yeah. today. But uh, I just remember this really unified me and a group of friends. Um, you know, we we all have heard the story about the, the friend of yours with the videotapes. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, I had a friend who had the whole collection on VHS tape and he glued them all together <laughs> glued them all together because he liked how the side bindings made a picture oh, and uh, for some reason he he wanted that picture to always be uh visible so if you ever wanted to borrow 
as some Dragon Ball Z movies. I'll tell you what, it was a pain to borrow the Saiyan saga because, it, you know, it's decently long. But then, yeah. what was the real one? The Frieza saga. This thing was, the Frieza saga this thing was, was really like a long. mountain that you were having to carry down the road. And you're like, all right, I'm going to watch these things. And hopefully they don't come <laughs> yeah. unglued. And, oh, man. <laughs> and then hopefully you put them back in the right cassette that's because, the thing. yeah, because it's yeah. Like, you gotta put it back in the right order chance that those are all out of order but dragon ball yeah. z you know and one thing i'll say about dragon ball z too is is that this is only a part of goku's story like there was a whole series before dragon ball z called dragon ball which is basically like yep. goku being a kid and going through high school and then dragon ball z is kind of like what happens once he's an adult and then now there's another series called dragon ball super which is like you know what's going on after the events of dragon after, ball z yeah. which i've never really had much of an interest in dragon ball super i've tried to watch it here and there as an adult and it's just one of those things where i mm. just can't get back into it i, I think maybe because the same nostalgia doesn't hit for me yeah like i can watch dragon ball z and you know it it hits man it's like man this stuff is, yeah yeah it's, it's, it's still got it man as you the know? kids say like, it slaps man it slaps it slaps oh gosh as the kids say we're to the point in life where we're saying as the kids say as the kids oh, say geez. all right i guess Stop. we're there the big three o comes and all of a sudden you're an old That's man it. i don't feel old but <clears throat> i'm still talking about tar- cartoons i'm still at age young 30 Right, yeah. We're, we just did a whole episode on cartoons. But yeah, man, man, Dragon Ball Z, I still think that this is probably one of the um, one of the biggest phenomenons in anime. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there who are big anime fans who, who will give you a list of all the anime that is bigger than Dragon Ball Z. And, and I won't argue it. I don't watch a lot of anime to be like a critic. But man, when Dragon Ball Z came over... And was fully done, and how big it was. I I feel like in yeah. the West, it had to be the catalyst in just anime becoming popular here. Huge. Like there's there's yeah there's a lot of people. There's a huge anime niche in pop culture right now, and I, I gotta say, if if it wasn't Dragon Ball Z, I want to know what it was. Um, yeah, that that gave I agree, success. man. But yeah. yeah, this show though, man, this is like. It's it's like the Avengers on steroids on, <laughs> yeah. on more steroids. Yeah. Like that's just yeah. the, if your steroids had steroids, right? this was this was what the show was. But Absolutely, on nonstop heart pumping action. I mean, even the show's got some pretty good emotional moments. Like there's some there's some decent setup and payoff in Dragon Ball Z. There's, there's decent yeah. storytelling. It's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is my number one. Always probably will be. Great, great number one, man. That's a solid number one. An epic number one. <laughs> epic number one. And my favorite episode of the show is when Vegeta sacrifices himself to save Trunks. Yeah. Um, it's a even good one. Trunks, I think, still ends up dying, I believe. It's it's hard to keep yeah. in line when certain people die. They die and they at come some back. Point or another, like... Everyone in the show dies and they all come back. It's hard to remember yeah. when. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. But they're oh tough, man. actually Vegeta sacrificed himself twice. Uh once for his young son trunks, and that's like near permadeath. But anyway, not giving <laughs> a full all, analysis of it. They all come back. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're just going to wrap it up here. Um, as far as closing thoughts go, just for both of us, thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, head over to steellakestudio.com. See the other things that we've been making on our website. Catch up on old episodes of Parallel Quest, and we will talk to you next time. But for now, we're saying bye-bye. <laughs>